Oh no, Mike. We went down to this wine cellar to get some uh, wine and mixed drinks and beer, and the doors closed behind us. Oh man. I was just trying to. Uh, this is like that one time I tried to get that cask of Amontillado. <laughs> yeah, that uh, that was a bad time for everybody. But uh, all all we all we can do is is sit in here and drink and and wait for some help and maybe think about all the good times we've had throughout the year. Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> for those of you who. Uh, who don't get through all these great memories. I think it's about three hours long. <laughs> we'll be back uh, next week for uh, regular shows. But uh, for now, enjoy this. Yeah, this particular episode was a clip show, which, you know, on its surface sounds like, oh, great, a clip show. There's no podcast like our podcast, like no podcast I know. Everything about it is appealing. Everything the format will allow. Nowhere can you get that happy feeling while you are sleeping or working out. Last week they told us we would not go far. That night we recorded and here we are. Hopefully we don't end up like Roseanne Barr. Let's go. On with the show. Hello everybody. Welcome to uh, Massive Late Fee. There's my uh, little amateur... What's the word I'm looking for, Mike? Uh, Theme music. If you don't want to hear me uh, sing anymore... Send in a uh, a theme song for us to use. You know who I can do without? I can do without the people in the video store. Which ones? All of them. This is Massive Late Fee with Mike and Mark. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Massive Late Fee. Uh, we've had a big week here. I thought about how to start the show for a little bit, and... I think that the most appropriate way to start would be to list some of the important people who have birthdays today. For instance, today is Johnny Carson's birthday, or would be Johnny Carson's birthday. Uh, Weird Al Yankovic's birthday is today, Amelia Clark, and our very own co-host, Mike's birthday is today. Happy birthday, Mike. Thank you. Now, in addition to that, have you done anything... Good for your birthday? Uh, my wife got me a lot of nice gifts, uh, some of which I'm drinking right now. <laughs> it's an open bar and it's free, so I'm not paying for it, so why not? <laughs> it doesn't count so like, pay for it. Yeah, so what I did was I proceeded to drink uh, like about 12 mixed drinks and a pitcher of beer. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. So on the way home, uh, my wife was driving because I left my car there because I will not drink one beer and drive a car. That's just something I won't do. So um, my friend Matt, who you know, obviously, mm-hmm. I messaged him because at the uh, midnight show, there was uh, they were playing John Carpenter's A Thing, which is one of my favorite horror movies. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, oh, come on, Matt. Well, well let's go to The Thing. He's like, oh, sure. And then I'm like, uh, he's like, you're going to be awake, right? Because I have a bad habit of passing out when I drink too much. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, sure, of course. There's no way I'll pass out for this. It's The Thing. So he gets over at 11, the movie starts at midnight, and uh, I'm like, you know, I don't really feel like going to the movies, I'm kind of sleepy now. <laughs> but luckily it was on Encore, and so I saw the opening scene, and the next thing I know, I was waking up and no one else was in the room with me. <laughs> oh, one of my favorite stories to tell involves you, and I, I know you'll remember this story. 
we uh, we went to the Dollar Show one time, and we were going to see some Bruce Willis movie. I don't even remember what it was. Do you remember the movie? Striking Distance? It might have been. And we got in there, the previews start playing, and for some reason, I just decided... No, no, I know what you're going to say. You're completely wrong in this, but go ahead. What? What, what am I wrong about? No, no, I know where you're going with this. Go ahead and I'll correct you when you're wrong. Okay. For some reason, I decided I don't want to watch this movie. I, I just didn't feel like being there. Plus, I had to go to the bathroom. So, I I went up. I said, you know, I got to go to the bathroom. I drove to my house. I went to the bathroom. I made a sandwich. I watched some TV. Um, I uh, <laughs> did some other stuff. And I was your ride. So I knew I had to go back up there and I kind of like I had this wasn't really a plan. But once I decided I didn't want to watch it anymore, it became kind of like, oh, this will be funny to do. So I drive back to the to the theater. I go back into the um, to the 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 movie theater and the auditorium and I see you sitting there. So I walk down. I sit sit down next to you. The last frame of the movie is on the screen. I could, I didn't time this out. I couldn't have timed it any better. The you last, couldn't. the last frame of the movie is on the screen, and I think it shows. It showed like a, um, like a tape recorder or something like that was playing, and I knew that like whatever it was doing was probably <laughs> unraveling the entire mystery of this movie. I sat down next to you. I turned to you and I said, "Did I miss anything?" <laughs> <laughs> and that's what you did for like the last five minutes of the movie. First of all, this is one of my favorite stories about you I ever have to tell because it's fucking hilarious. <laughs> Secondly, you're 100% wrong. The movie was Narco with Ray Liotta and Jason Patrick. That's right. It was Ray Liotta. <laughs> and it was a really good movie. But, but I don't remember what happened because I was ordering. Where the fuck is Bond the whole time? <laughs> but I have another funny story there. I think it was, uh, we saw The Mummy Part 2. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen the first Mummy, which didn't affect my viewing of the second at all. Right. Though I did uh, discover Rachel Weiss, so, uh, you know. Yep. But we went with uh, Matt, a.k.a. Dustin Inhat, and for some reason he decided to buy a movie meal. <laughs> for those not in the know, what's a movie meal? A movie meal is a meal that a child will buy in order to watch a movie. It's like $5. It has a drink, popcorn, and some kind of candy. Yeah. Mark, being an asshole, decided to throw pennies in the popcorn when he was away to the bathroom. And guess what happens three quarters of the way through the movie? Matt, Dustin, and Matt starts choking to death. You and I were laughing our asses off, and he almost died. Oh, my God. I love, I love, two things I love about this story is, one, that your, your, your explanation is, Mark, because he's an asshole, which I am. <laughs> yes, we both are. That's one of the things we have in common. And, and the other thing that I love about that is when he didn't die, we, or at least I, basically just made fun of him for yeah. buying a movie meal. <laughs> oh, we made fun of the movie bill the whole time. Oh my god.
just to put an exclamation point on that, you almost killed uh, a great story from that movie, uh, movie theater is um, my friend Matt and I, who will feature in a lot of my stories from now on. We went there, and um, it was shortly after 9-11. We were seeing, I don't know, I would say Fight Club, but that doesn't make sense time-wise. But regardless, <laughs> we were there, and a uh, Middle Eastern gentleman sat in front of us, which, you know, whatever. But then he had a paper bag with, like, something in it, and he left the paper bag in his seat, and he walked out of the movie and never came back. Oh, my God. Oh my God. So me, being a good friend, did I tell Matt that, hey, that guy left a bag? Nope. What I did was, like, oh, you know, I want to see that way. I'll get a better view. So I went and sat in the front row of the movie, well on the blast radius. <laughs> and then after the movie, he's like, why'd you go sit down there? I'm like, oh, I thought the guy put a bomb there. And he goes, you know what I tell me? Like, I didn't want you to think I was crazy. Oh my god! <laughs> uh, how horrifying, though. I mean, right after nine eleven, a Middle Eastern guy's got a bag, leaps into the movie theater, and just walks away. Oh, yeah, he came in. He was there for five minutes. He was fucking with the bag the whole time. He just set it on the ground and walked out. Uh, ben Feldman, if you're listening. I've written uh, about you several times on uh, michigansportsandentertainment.com. You retweeted it. I know you read it. I know you're the guy at the end of American Pie. Just write us a letter or come on the show <laughs> and admit it. You, there's a there's a, a DJ at the end of the, the movie American Pie that's wearing this big, giant... Um, it looks like... I don't know if you ever... If you remember... Johnny Carson used to play this character called Karnak. Who was yeah, like, is it when they're at the restaurant and no, there's like a DJ in there? They're actually at the prom. Okay. And um, and he's like doing the music and everything. And he's not credited. I went on to IMDb. I went everywhere. There is no credit for this guy at all anywhere in the movie. But I swear to God, it is the guy that plays Jonah on Superstore, his name's Ben Feldman, and I have, uh, I've written articles about Superstore, I've written articles about him, and I've brought it up, I brought it up to him, he's retweeted stuff and liked stuff that I've done, but he has not come out and said, yeah, that's me, at the end of American Pie, and I will have a vendetta against him until he does that. What's weird, I have to say, I'm actually, I, I have to commend the people behind Archie, they've been taking some really easy, like, crazy risk lately like there's a comic and i want to get this it's uh it's archie versus the predator i was just about to say isn't there one where he fights the predator yeah and and the cover for this one is amazing you have to see it. it's him and betty in a, a, a booth at the malt shop and they're you know drinking from a, a big sunday and uh sitting next to them is the predator <laughs> drinking from the same just sitting there yeah it's it's the most amazing cover i've ever seen God, I wonder if their fight is going to be over Betty. Um, I'm not sure. You know, actually, I think that is, I've read the spoilers. I think actually Betty prevails and like every almost everybody else dies. <laughs> uh, so before we get into our main topic today, I'm introducing a new topic that will probably become one of our regular topics because I think that this will be good as as regular viewers know mike doesn't like hardly anything and has not seen hardly anything 
when it comes to pop which culture. Which is great for an entertainment podcast. So uh, what we're doing is we I have a segment that I'm calling Educating Mike, where I read him or describe to him the plot of a movie or a TV show or a comic book or something like that. And last week, uh, regular viewers of the podcast or, or listeners of the podcast will note we talked about Archie versus the Predator, which you may hold on a second. Yeah. Can you imagine if there are viewers, people who just stare at the still image on YouTube? <laughs> I guess it's a little grandiose to call them viewers. <laughs> I assume that most hey, 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 they're blind women. You can meet on the radio. <laughs> I assume that most people listen to this either while they're sleeping and they, can't, and they don't hear what's going on or uh, maybe while they're in prison or uh, while they're making a grilled cheese sandwich or something like that. Oh, man, I'd love if we got the prison audience. That's a captive audience. Absolutely. But uh, Dark Horse Comics, uh, which is a comic book company that's business model for the most part. I mean, they do some other stuff. Uh, but they they realized that if they purchased the licenses to uh, some iconic characters and then just put them in versus battles, that those issues sell pretty well. And you know they've done they've done a lot. That they were the first one that did Alien versus Predator, and they've done Batman versus Predator, Darth Vader versus Aliens, uh, a bunch of of stuff. But th- this one is Archie from the Archie comics, the Riverdale. Uh, world versus Predator, and it's a four-issue series. I'm only going to read Mike and our listeners the first uh, the first series. Well, I think what we'll do is we'll we'll have this as like an ongoing thing for the the four of them. But uh, okay, so it starts off where it's spring break, and the gang, uh, which uh, consists of Jughead, Archie. Betty, Veronica, and their black friend who really doesn't factor in the story in any way. And I don't even know if we see after the first panel, so I guess it's just a diversity hire. <laughs> I didn't even notice he was black myself. But um, but anyway, so they're there trying to figure out what they're going to do for spring break. And uh, Cheryl and her rich boyfriend come up and start making fun of them, basically saying... You know, oh, what are you going to do? Are you going to go camping? Or maybe you're going to uh, go uh, tubing on the lake. And the whole time Jughead is struggling with this bag of potato chips, trying to get it open, not caring anything what's going on. You know, a real Jughead situation. (laughs) Weiserheimer. And, and, um, you know, he finally gets the bag open, and apparently there was some sort of contest because they won a luxury vacation to a beach resort. So they kind of rub it in Cheryl and, uh, and her boyfriend's face. And the next panel, they go to this beach resort, which is called, which is called Los Predados. <laughs> well, that's not good. Even if, it's, even if it doesn't involve an alien from outer space. So, yeah. Casey, exactly. what are you doing? <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, you're going to a uh, a resort with a bunch of strangers that's basically called the Predators. Oh, my God. So, anyway, um, 
they uh, they sidle up to this bar, which is called Dutch's Bar, which is, you know obviously is a reference to the first movie. Uh, Sylvester, or I mean, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's character was named Dutch. How dare you! <laughs> so they're all happy, you know, and um, uh, their friend Reggie's there too, and Reggie tries to uh, get get fresh with with Veronica after carrying up her heavy luggage to her room, and she basically just slams the door in his face. So he uh, he goes back downstairs, and one of their nerdy friends says that he's uh, he's busy at work because he's got to finish up the the yearbook stuff before uh, they they leave because it, for some reason it's due right after spring break. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me as far as the uh, timeline goes. Nope. And uh, it's not a plot point that comes up at all in in the story. So. But anyway, so uh, Reggie comes down, and Jughead asks him how everything went with Veronica, and he says, "No chick can resist the the reg the the register. I'm a gosh darn sexual tyrannosaur." Oh <laughs> just, no, it was especially here at Los Predatoros. Yeah, but just like Jesse Ventura's character in the movie. And uh, obviously Jughead, you know, the Weisenheimer that he is, he cuts him off and says, uh, oh, tiny appendages, <laughs> very, very noisy and headed for extinction. That sounds about right. <laughs> and he goes, yeah, you think Veronica's right. You know, I get to fuck Big Ethel. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, so their little geeky friend, I think this is maybe the only reason he's he's in the book at all. He pulls out a telescope and it's so funny too because it's so weird how sexual this gets in certain weird. It really is Los Predados. But he, he says, <laughs> "Harvey uh, Weinstein, the famous." They <laughs> <laughs> said the, they should reboot it, even though it's only a few years old. Just have to keep running into those people. <laughs> that would be hilarious. But he says, "Oh, gorgeous! I can't wait to press myself against your big aperture." And it's his telescope. Well, yeah. So he uh, he's looking through the telescope and he sees uh, you know something shooting through the sky. I don't need, know why we need to set that up at all at this point. Everyone knows it's got to make sense, okay? <laughs> but uh, anyway, so the rich people who are yachting, uh, you know, around the Caribbean or wherever this takes place, uh, also see the thing in the sky. And they decide they're going to come check it out, and they end up on the um, the same resort as Archie and his friends. And, you know, they're making fun of him and everything. And uh, But uh, Cheryl, the, the rich bitch, she suggests, <laughs> she suggests that they have a fashion contest. So Betty and Veronica start, you know, dolling themselves up, and... and it, this is a ways into the comic, but we finally see the first hints that the Predator's there with some, uh, you know, red uh, heat vision panels. <laughs> but we still don't see the Predator at all. So, I thought it, you said Reggie was already one of the panels. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But uh, so anyway, so they decide to, uh, you know, they get all dialed up and, and dress up and everything. And, and uh, Cheryl says, oh, I'm going to pit... Uh, Betty and Veronica against each other and that will uh, you know that'll piss everybody off so you know everyone's voting and and uh, you know 
Archie votes 10 for Veronica. And then when he sees what Betty's dressed in, which is just a weird, like two piece bathing suit, but it's one of those like skirt ones where it's like a mini skirt, but (laughs) but it comes down to her thighs. It's, it's very fully covered, you know, her whole whole body, but she's got some weird fringe on the end and there's, (laughs) and it's like purple and yellow and, and orange uh, stripes. It's, it's very weird, but uh, then Archie goes, Betty, you're not supposed to be having tits. (laughs) But there are some, there are some large hearts in, in, uh, in Archie's eyes. And he crosses out the 10 that he gave to, to Veronica and puts an 11, even though it only goes up to 10. So, He's about to kiss Betty, and Veronica gets pissed and says, you know, how dare you? And they start fighting, and there's a big tussle, and then we see from the woods, the predator is watching <laughs> their fight. And, uh, and he's, you know, there's like, uh, there's Betty and Veronica, and it shows their heart rates and everything. And uh, basically, Archie tries to break it up. Tackles Veronica and accidentally punches Betty in the nose. My God. Or actually, Veronica accidentally punches Betty in the nose as Archie's tackling her. So Betty gets, and and they, they, Veronica and Archie end up falling together on the beach and they kiss with Betty bleeding out of her nose (laughs) horrifically right by him. And, uh, you know, there's a thought bubble of a breaking heart, and she ends up running into the woods. So Those are the most wholesome comics ever. So we see, we see the, um, the predator uh, kind of following her with his night vision through the woods. Her, uh, her gorgeous, weird bathing suit ends up getting torn up a little bit, so now you can see a little more skin. And she finds this cave with a jaguar face carved into it. It's what? just yeah, it's like like imagine the opening of a cave and over the top of it is a giant jaguar face with teeth. Like it looks like it can't comes from an actual jaguar because it has actual teeth, but it's way larger than any jaguar would ever be. So she ends up as as you do, as you would if you saw something horrif- horrifically terrifying in the in the uh, jungle, she walks in and yeah. she sees this dagger uh, in a very ceremonial uh, holster or ceremonial uh, sheath in this like place of honor, and she ends up picking it up and kind of like uh, Indiana Jones, rocks start falling from the wall. She runs out. Her friends, uh, you know, now Archie's all upset that he made Betty upset. So Veronica and, and Veronica's upset that she hurt her friend too. So all of them uh, are out in the in the jungle trying to find him. And Cheryl and uh, her her rich boyfriend come come with with them, and they kind of get separated a little bit. The Cheryl and and her boyfriend uh, get separated from Archie and the rest of the gang. They end up finding Betty. And, you know, he apologizes to her and everything. Everything's good. We see some blood dripping down <laughs> from above them that they apparently don't notice at all. Even though a giant splotch is is uh, landing on Veronica's shoulder. And then we pan up 
And they say, hey, has anyone seen Cheryl and her boyfriend? And we pan up, and there are horrifically mangled bodies <laughs> with the predator sitting in between them. And he has nice. ripped out their their uh, spines and skulls. And he's looking down <laughs> at the gang. And they decide the next day that, uh, you know, sorry, we have to leave early, but we've got to get out of here. So they leave, and uh, Betty has taken the sword with her. She almost uh, forgot that she had it. but they Did go... she check it or bring her or carry on back? Well, they, they're getting on a seaplane, which they okay. clearly couldn't take home. But, uh, right. yeah, I, I suppose somehow she gets it through customs. They don't, they don't really explain that. They just, the they just go to Pops uh, the next day, and they're all sitting, having a cheeseburger with some, uh, you know, a sundae and everything. And uh, they say, hey, oh, you know, it's so great to be home. But then in the very last panel, uh, you know, Archie says, anyway, I'm glad everything's back to normal. And you see heat vision. It's it's red yeah. vision. The, uh, the predator has made his way to Riverdale. Must have somehow almost alien style uh, climbed onto the back of the seaplane, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I, guess. I could imagine him trying to get through TSA. <laughs> Any weapons on you? Whoa! <laughs> so that is the first episode of Archie versus the Predator, where uh, Predator Kill Count Two, Cheryl and her boyfriend, uh, horrifically murdered, uh, spines ripped out of their their heads for uh, for the uh, the penalty. The, that's the penalty for the crime of making fun of Archie and his friends. Well, to be fair, they were snooty. So, uh, you know, moving right along here, um, we are going to go into our second edition of Educating Mike. This is where uh, I read Mike the synopsis uh, or uh, story or whatever of a, a movie, TV show, comic book to just just to uh, expand Mike's horizons on uh, entertainment since he hates everything in entertainment. Yeah, I, I really, I really do hate everything. I mean, it's not a prank we're not pranking you you're a hero <laughs> it's not a bit i just uh I, I realize that i hate most things but uh you you may remember from last time that we uh we started with uh the first uh of four archie versus the predator comic books and uh we're going into part two now if you remember mike from last time we left off where the uh the riverdale gang had gotten back home to uh i think it's moe's uh uh little the malt shop yeah the malt shop um i gotta say i'm, I'm the only thing that would be more exciting to hear than this is if uh, there were more adventures of max Wright from alf that was the best thing ever <laughs> yeah for anybody that's interested go back to and listen to uh, our last episode uh part one of this series definitely listen to part one of this series because we're going to be you know continuing with kevin smith's movies but that uh that max Wright story is something else it's a doozy <laughs> but uh yeah so they're back at the uh the malt shop and um betty is uh is uh, <laughs> feeling guilty because she has uh one of cheryl's dresses so apparently <laughs> appa apparently after uh after they they were brutally murdered, I mean, you know, not that the gang knows about it yet, 
But uh, they were snooty. She just she just raided her uh, her luggage for some reason because she has one of her dresses on. So they're uh, they're in the mall shop and uh, you know just chilling and everything. And we see right away um, that uh, Betty's got that uh, that knife still, and we see the uh, the red vision of the predator. So we know he's around somewhere. Their little geeky friend comes up and says that he's got awful news and that Cheryl and Jason were uh, were killed at the resort. Uh, and apparently it was some kind of jungle animal. And all like right away, Betty uh, kind of seems to think that it's her fault. I think because she she took the knife and she, you know, she kind of cursed out Cheryl in that little uh, that little place and everything. And uh, the uh, the owner of the uh, the malt shop comes up with a welcome home cake, this big chocolate cake with a strawberry on top of it. And uh, he says that, um, oh, you know, I made you guys this special welcome home cake, but, you know, maybe now's not the time. But, of course, you know, Jughead's, Jughead's into it. He wants, uh, <laughs> he wants that cake. But, uh, you know, it's so funny because I just, like, I see, see this guy. He's, he's portly, a little bald and everything. And I just kind of think about uh, the backstory that he probably has where, um, you know, he, he and his wife couldn't have any kids of their own. And he feels really close to these uh, kids that come in here every day. And, you know, he's gone to all this trouble to make them a uh, welcome back cake. Well, uh, next panel, his head gets blown completely off in a <laughs> shower of blood. Absolutely destroyed. You can't even see any of it. Just completely headless. Uh, Veronica's covered in blood. Everyone is screaming. He... Uh, he falls down charred in the middle of uh, of the uh, restaurant. Jughead's still got the cake in his hand. <laughs> probably eating it. There's uh, there's an eyeball on top of the cake. <laughs> but he's still holding it. Uh, everyone kind of runs towards the back room. And uh, Betty says that she knows that all this is happening is her fault. And she needs Veronica to come with her now. And they're going to go to Greendale, not Greendale Community College, like from the television show Community, but the neighboring uh, to Riverdale, Greendale. Nice. So as they get into the car, she says that uh, she thinks that she did this because she put a, a hoodoo, a, 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 a um, curse on Cheryl and said some pretty nasty things about Veronica, too, <laughs> when she was in that thing. So she's worried that this is... Uh, this is her fault, and she wants to go see Sabrina. Um, I get maybe this is an allusion to Sabrina, the teenage witch. I don't, I don't know because I don't probably. I don't really know this character. But um, uh, Betty says that um, she knows that that uh, this Sabrina will know what to do because in the library, all the the books on voodoo, Sabrina's name is in them. Having checked them out. Which also means that Betty checked them out too, <laughs> and they're I hope they're on a watch list, and they're reading the same book. So I'm not sure exactly what she thinks she's going to learn from her. But you know, the police are on their way uh, to uh, help out the other people, and they've slipped out the back, and uh, you know they've left, and they go to Sabrina's house, which is this old, like almost like the uh, the house in Psycho is kind of what it looks like, one of those Victorian type mansions. And she answers the door uh, looking all 
goth. She's got the uh, the black like um, vest on with uh, it's like that it's like that Barbie doll goth kind of thing where she's she's blonde to almost be white hair, very pale green eyes, the white like cute dress with the tiny little black vest, and uh, so she, they they come in. And uh, Betty kind of tells her what's going on, and she says uh, that she took this ceremonial knife. So Sabrina says, "Okay, you know, let me uh, let me look in my books and everything." She's all creepy and shit, and she puts on a fucking goat's head, <laughs> like a satanist, and starts flipping through her books. She holds up the knife. She uh, starts, uh, you know, giving these incantations, and the predator. Bursts through the window, stabs her right through the guts, <laughs> and the knife falls. The, the knife falls on the floor and shatters completely. What? And and uh, yeah, just it just shatters the the ceremonial knife. The predator rips uh, Sabrina's head out with her spine and everything. Blood comically, and this is, it's so funny how like it's still it's still you know manages to be funny. Blood just spurts directly on Veronica missing Betty. Like every time Betty where Veronica just gets drenched in blood and Betty stays completely clean. Uh Sabrina's cat. Yeah, this has gotta be this has gotta be like a Sabrina the Teenage Witch thing because she's got a cat too. Her cat uh, jumps at the predator and he vaporizes it. You can see the uh skeleton of the cat as he as he the, uh, nukes it. Does the cat say something sassy before it's vaporized? No, it just says rawr. <laughs> <laughs> but, oh, real quick, uh, I, I guess in that um in that one on Netflix, Sabrina, mm-hmm. there is a character named Harvey. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. I don't know if that's I don't know if that's from like the comics or what, but that's I thought that was pretty funny. Oh uh, yeah, it must be. But uh yeah, so um uh so the predator's completely gone at this point. Apparently he just like it's pretty confusing. He destroys the cat and then just pieces out. <laughs> so they're sitting there, uh and Betty has gotten the predator on uh, a picture on her camera. <laughs> So uh now Veronica's uh you know goes through uh Sabrina's clothes to the, what the fuck? They keep raiding dead people's clothes. <laughs> but since she's covered in blood, she uh she wants to put something else on, so she does. And uh Betty shows Does she make any sassy comments on oh, all black? She does say uh yeah, she goes in and she says, she goes, I'm borrowing clean clothes from Sabrina's closet. It's not like she can use them anymore, especially the turtlenecks. <laughs> and then she goes, weird, weird, weird. Nice. Oh, oh, Classic cute. Veronica. Oh, cute. And it's like a little white dress. So uh, <laughs> she, uh, Veronica starts to change. And they're, they're oddly calm for the fact that the predator had just been there and could come back at any minute. So she, well, if he was going to kill him, he would have killed him then, right? You would think so, yeah. But she starts to uh, she starts to change. She's got all her clothes off. Betty's looking around the room. She picks up an axe. Go on. And, <laughs> and the predator starts coming in because she's got that axe. And then she puts it down, and so the predator leaves, kind of, um, you know, showing how he won't uh, he won't attack anyone if they're not armed. 
Yeah, if it, if it's a teenage girl with an ex, that's a challenge to him. But if there's no ex, no deal. <laughs> yeah, you know it's funny that the end of uh, the second Predator movie, he kind of uh, he throws uh, uh, Glover, uh, Danny Glover's uh, character, throws him that like flintlock pistol. And it's just like, it's like uh, a trophy to him. He just like, obviously clearly killed someone that was thoroughly unprepared to fight a predator. (laughs) But uh, anyway, so they, uh, they uh, leave the mansion. And from behind them, you can see that the ceremonial knife is magically coming back together and is whole again. So they come back and uh, and find Archie and the gang, and uh, you know they're obviously happy to see them. Uh, Archie's got some friends with him. <laughs> Who's the uh, who, Moose? Right, the big dumb guy. Yeah, Moose is the big tough guy. So Moose has come with his father's gun, which is a squirt gun. <laughs> what? It's one of those big super soakers. What the? F- Why would that be his father's gun? Wouldn't that be his gun? I don't know. He said I brought my. Da- is it, is it a I, brought, I brought my daddy's gun. It's a squirt gun. So, so uh, their other friend says I brought my daddy and I brought my uncle's guns, and uh, his dad happens to be in the in the military. So he brought his dad, who happens to be like a special ops guy. Then there is just a huge long amount of exposition on the next (laughs) thing from the military guy because betty shows him the picture of what they're dealing with and he's like oh kids for the safety of this great country of ours occasionally the u.s military keeps things secret from the general citizenry (laughs) one of those things is the existence of predators and they uh you know they're all like Oh, predators. Oh, what else does the government keep from us? All this stuff. And so he goes through the whole mythology of the predators, how they come here. Uh, they take, uh, you know, they hunt human beings. They take trophies, all that stuff. And he kind of gives them the rules. If you're not armed and everything, you'll be you'll be fine. And they want to use Veronica as bait because they think that it <laughs> wants Veronica for some reason. But Veronica, you know, the dad, the dad, military dad says uh, that he doesn't, you know, he's not going to use a woman. So somebody's got to dress up as Veronica and. Okay. Yeah. Lo and behold, <laughs> it's Jughead. Uh, Veronica promises him to buy him uh, lunch every day for a year. And that is enough to get him in a dress. Quite costly, though. So they, um, you know, all the military, the guys, his military buddies and, uh, and, um, Moose and, uh, and the rest of them, uh, they take off to find the predator and, uh, Archie and the rest of the gang kind of stay back. So Jughead's out there and he's like, Hey, what are you waiting for? Kill me, blah, blah, blah. And the predator kind of shoots like a warning shot knocks uh, Jughead over and then uh, the military guys are waiting behind this car and the Predator just flips this car over and crushes a bunch of them. (laughs) (laughs) Like, they're just cut in half. He's just... Yeah, he's just like... uh, I think this is the best comic series I've ever heard of in my entire life. He's just going through them. Uh, The one guy's uh, got like half a body... And he's crawling towards me. He's like, hey, ugly, your mama said it was your birthday. 
So I got you a present. And the guy, the predator lifts him up and the guy smiles and he's got a live grenade in his hand and lets it blow up. And uh, so the predator runs by with just fire coming off of him. And uh, (laughs) Jughead's, uh, you know, in there, he gets up, he's got Veronica's purse. He feels inside. He's like, hey, what's this? And it's the knife. And behind him, we see the predator. And that is where it ends until next week and next issue. We're going to move into our uh, educating Mike section and uh, avid listener of the podcast, (laughs) or there (laughs) there might be more than one of you, um, will uh, realize that we are on part three of Archie versus the Predator. If you, if this is the first podcast of ours you're listening to, Go back to because you want to definitely start at the beginning of this. Yeah, I would say this might be my most looked forward to part of the podcast. So as you remember, Mike, uh, last time uh, it ended where all the military guys and Moose and all those guys got killed um, while Jughead was dressed up as Veronica as bait. And <laughs> yeah, I remember. And um, so it, it opens up with kind of a weird um like narrative where it uh or narration where it uh it just says you know like Riverdale the sort of sweet little town everyone dreams of moving to when they reach a certain age and I don't I don't understand what that like a retirement community I, I don't understand. yeah I, I don't think I ever wanted to move somewhere with a malt shop <laughs> right like, oh, I'm going to graduate college and then move to fucking Hicksville, where uh, you know some guy can't figure out which uh, chick he wants to fuck. Every every uh, every 16 year old apparently wants to move to Riverdale. Did he ever say where Riverdale? I assume it's like <laughs> some like generic, non-existent, like like parts unknown kind of. Like, there's not a real like location for it, or is it like California? Or yeah, I don't know. It doesn't. Uh, I don't think they ever really give an indication of what state it is or exactly where it is. Oh, I forgot to mention last time, by the way, I don't I don't know how I forgot to mention this, but uh, when the cops came uh, before the military guys went out there, they or when uh, the military guys got there, they said, oh, the police aren't coming because they're all at uh, Sabrina's house. That girl that they uh, that they went to to try to help exploded. (laughs) Well, yeah, but they they're all at her her house because they found a mass grave. Oh my god! So apparently, <laughs> apparently she was just a violent How'd you leave that murder. Part out? I, How'd I don't you leave that out. I don't know. I forgot. But but yeah. So what the fuck. So Sabrina had a mass grave. That'd be like a, a biopic about Max, right? You don't include a fucking three way. <laughs> so after the narration, we see Jughead just kind of wandering around the wreckage. He gets back to uh, Riverdale High School, and he trips on a uh, a piece of cord that obviously was placed there. And this like baseball bat mace springs at him. He ducks under it, and uh, you know the gang's all there. They think they've got the predator, but they realize that it's that what? it's Jughead. So apparently they've uh, they've placed some traps to try to uh, get the predator while they're holed up in there. Some uh, very indiscriminate traps. Yeah, and uh, so uh, they um, they have this uh, talk, and and Jughead, you know, 
Jughead is being very non-Jughead right now. He's, uh, you know, he's crying. He's pissed off. He says that, um, you know, they're all dead. All the all the people are dead, and he just wants to get out of there. And, um, you know, uh, like Betty says, well, everywhere they go, they're going to find us. And he turns to Veronica. He says, no, he just wants you. <laughs> For some reason, they think he just wants Veronica. And if they all get away from her, they'll be fine. Which, weird. which all the bit players do. There's like, there's like five, uh, you know, like uh, B-list Archie characters. They're just like, yeah, we're leaving. I think all the Archie characters are technically B-list characters. (laughs) So, uh, you know, they say that they're just, the rest of them say they're just going to wait there uh, for the police. And Dilton, who's the the geeky one. Oh, that fucking nerd. He says that, uh, oh, the the police are gone. And they're like, what? And they said, uh, yeah, they were at uh, Sabrina's house and it's all gone. The house is gone. The mass grave is gone. All the police are gone with it, and he somehow he has like live footage of of Sabrina's what? house. So he probably was watching the whole time, and then he just saw her murder people and bury them in the mass grave and said nothing. I'm guessing, yeah. And for some reason, there's a cop car there, police tape, and then just a bunch of goats. What? Just a bunch of goats wandering around, like eating the grass and stuff. I don't know if they were like goats to sacrifice or what. I'm not sure. But yeah, definitely weird. So, uh, you know, all the rest of them leave. And Dilton says, we've got to get to the AV room. And uh, Well, of course, he's going to the AV room. Because, you know, they still have those in high schools. Right. Let's go to the dark room to do some photography. (laughs) But he says, yeah, everything... uh, will be answered at the AV room and, and uh, Jughead is, is hungry, obviously. So as they're all uh, going, they pass by a snack machine and he decides, oh, I'm going to stop and get a snack. So, you know, he reaches into his pocket looking for, uh, or, or the purse, Veronica's purse that he still has, looking for money and he says, oh, you know, Veronica never carries cash on her. Then he finds the knife and we see from behind him the predator is in the ductworks. Like, what? like an alien for some reason. You know, I, I, just a quick pause. That, that, that whole thing, like that trope of people in ductwork—that's like the biggest bullshit ever. You could not fucking fit in ductwork and not have it collapse. Yeah, exactly. You know, the, I'm looking at you, John McClain. Real quick, there's. Uh, um, speaking of J.K. Simmons, which we were a while ago, um, there's a game called Portal Two where uh, he does uh, voiceover for a lot of the different parts of this game and basically he's he plays um the ceo of this company that does pre-recorded messages and one it's of the, a good business. oh yeah but one of the and they're they're hilarious too his name his character name is cave johnson and if you're interested you should go on uh, youtube and look up uh, cave johnson and they'll be up there but one of the ones is he's uh he they're like in a space station and they're supposed to be like he goes he says that um you know for all of you that think that have just woken up from cryo sleep and think there's some company wide a conspiracy there's not we're we're in space 
We're just doing testing in space. This information is readily available to you if you would ask, so please stop forming adventure parties to figure out the company-wide conspiracy because it's that we're in space. And <laughs> in like the second, he, he keeps coming up like as you get to different parts of the game. And uh, in the second one, he goes, um, for those of you who are trying to climb through the ductwork to find a secret room to uncover the conspiracy, like I said... There is no conspiracy. We are in space. It is common knowledge. And by the way, um, ductwork is not some secret uh, escape hatch. It's how we (laughs) ventilate the facility. And by the way, if if you have asthma and uh, you're up there for more than five minutes, you're probably going to die because it's really dusty up there. (laughs) But yeah, the whole thing is, is hilarious. But anyway, so he pulls out the knife, and he decides, okay, I'm going to get this candy bar out with this knife. So he uh, he pulls the candy bar out. It actually does come out like he reaches in with the knife. What? And then we see the Predator standing behind him with his claw. We cut back, and Archie's like, hey, where's Jughead? Nobody knows where Jughead is. And... Uh, you know, they start running after him, and Tilton's uh, like, no, you know what I want to show you is in here. So um, Archie runs out, slips on some blood, falls to the ground, <laughs> and, and there is Jughead's head. Disembow- or dismembered from his body, his spine hanging out, uh, just posed with the snacks. <laughs> That's a downer. So Archie's obviously pissed. He wants to, uh, he says now that he's going to kill the Predator, that, that he's, uh, this is personal for him now. Now it's personal. Right. When they killed Moose, he didn't give a shit, but now that they killed uh, Jughead, it's personal because, as we know, Archie and Jughead were lovers. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so. Those comics were the most wholesome. <laughs> But uh, so they go towards, they're they're going back towards the AV room. They're all sad. And Dilton is going into this weird monologue about, uh, have you ever thought what what it's like to be someone like me, Archie? Uh, You know, someone uh, at a school where everyone cares about dating, but no one's ever asked to go on a date with me. And I'm just the geek and all this stuff and everything. He's like, well, look what I did. And he opens the AV room and there is a giant Archie robot there. What? He's built a robot that he can climb into and control that looks like Archie. I guess because he wants to be like Archie and he thinks he'll get women if he's like Archie. But he's also built weapons into it. What? For some reason. It's It's fucking weird. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Like... I don't know if he was planning on rampaging through the school with this thing. And then pity on Archie, that's brilliant. And, and and now he just thinks, uh, oh, um, you know, now I can be a hero and I'll get girls that way. I, I don't know exactly what uh, his plan was. But he gets in it and it kind of starts malfunctioning right away. <laughs> what? It uh, fires a big fireball that they dodge. Um, he asks Archie for a wrench so he can fix it. But just then, that's when the Predator uh, uh, crashes in. Uh, they spell crash with a K, so you know it's extreme. It's K- oh, yeah. K-R-A-S-H exclamation <laughs> points. 
in big red letters. Um, so Archie slams it in the head with a wrench. Uh, the Predator's not too keen on that. But uh, Dilton's got enough control of the robot that he's able to grab uh, the Predator away from him. He uh, punches the Predator, shoots uh, you know, a fireball at it, which seems to to wound it. Um, he also has, he's got one of those metal fists that can just, uh, uh, you know, uh, shoot out from the, the robot. So His that, fists are very aerodynamic, as we all know. So that hits him. Uh, the Predator, like, kind of Archie's sort of in the middle trying to, uh, you know, get away. The Predator gets, uh, you know, Archie with a glancing blow on his shoulder. Looks pretty, uh, pretty harsh, but... Uh, it looks like he's probably going to be okay. He's, uh, you know, he's definitely wounded, but uh, Betty and Veronica are, are tending to him, and uh, Dilton gets uh, a a net around the Predator, and so they're all kind of celebrating. I don't know why, because it's not dead yet, but um, but he's still kind of having trouble with the machine, and the machine wants to kill everyone. <laughs> like that's 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 why I think maybe he's just planning on a rampage. Because, oh my god! Because the thing just keeps saying, not now, Archie too. Kill everyone, but uh, Betty talks it down somehow. I don't. I don't like. What I don't, the fuck. I don't know if it's if it's if it's been programmed with Archie's personality or whatever. But uh, <laughs> so is that saying that Archie secretly wants to murder everyone? Right. But he just she, tried to get with Betty and Veronica this whole time, and they wouldn't give him anything. But she says, you know, Dilton, yeah, she says, Dilton, I believe in you. I know you can do this. You know, you're not going to hurt me. I'm wearing my lucky scrunchie <laughs> and all this stuff. And then um, she hugs the robot and the robot goes from kill to saying cuddle. <laughs> so, uh, you know, they're all proud of him and everything. And, uh, you know, Dilton's like, oh, I'm a hero. And they say, "Oh yeah, you're a hero," you know. But they're they're fawning over Archie because he's been hurt. <laughs> so, so they're still kind of just ignoring him. <laughs> well, we, we saw Archie catch a predator, not you, fucking dick. <laughs> but uh, Milton takes the the helmet off of the machine, and lo and behold, the net is empty because the predator's been able to get out of the net. Uh, sneaks up behind. Dilton stabs him through the neck with that ceremonial knife, <laughs> pulls his head out, spine and all. Oh my god! Uh, just like in the last frame of this of this uh, episode is uh, Betty screaming Dilton, and uh, uh, Veronica saying, "Oh God, we're actually gonna die." <laughs> Archie's so like fucked up that he's just sitting there bleeding. And we see the predator from that, like kind of that cowboy shot, uh, but but down from like hips down with uh, Dilton's head uh, in his hand, just Jeez. standing in front of him. And that is where we end episode oh three <laughs> to be concluded in episode four. Wow, I still say this has got to be the best comic of all time. This sounds amazing. It is pretty damn good. I have to say that. Which, I'll make sure to interrupt immediately when I do. Yeah, you should. <laughs> uh, but our next segment, as we continue educating Mike, uh, this is part four of Alien vs. Predator. This is the the final uh, the final edition, the final book in this series. 
I would be lying if I said I hadn't been looking forward to this for a while. I am very excited to hear how this goes. I know I'm excited to read uh, to read this to you, but uh, so as, as uh, devotees of the show will remember, last episode we ended with Dilton getting uh, stabbed through the neck by the ceremonial knife as the predator got got out of the net and uh, appeared behind him. Um, no, that's not how we ended. It was Jughead was beheaded. No, that was in the middle of that comic. Oh, was that? Yeah. Wow, I thought that was at the end. No, remember we went uh, like... Yeah, uh, the whole robot thing. Yeah, I, I yeah. was probably drinking during the last episode, so <laughs> sorry. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. But anyway, so uh, we we uh, we come in during that scene, the Predator's standing before them. Uh, Veronica says, you know, what are we going to do now? The Predator holds up Dilton's head. Uh, looks at it and then and I'm uh, I haven't watched a lot of Predator uh, related media outside of the first movie and, and Alien versus Predator and I've seen the second one, but he uh, he sucks. You didn't miss anything. I've seen a lot of those movies. He sucks the skin off of the head and basically eats Dilton's flesh. I don't think that's what the Predator does, but if it's it's Dark Horse who did this, right? Yeah, that's right. They would know better than I. I mean, I've never seen the Predator do anything like that, but I guess, okay, you know, we, we got it. So, obviously, they're all uh, grossed out about it. <clears throat> you know, and the Predator has taken off his mask <clears throat> so that we can see uh, James Cameron's uh, James Cameron's contribution to the character, which is the uh, vagina-like face. <laughs> because, you know, they, they were designing the thing, and James Cameron said, uh, why don't you add some uh, stuff on the side like that? <laughs> Maybe that's why uh, they always fight the aliens, because the aliens look like penises, so yeah. they're bound to war forever. That's right. So really, it's a big metaphor for the uh, battle of the sexes. That's Good job, James Cameron, and whoever did Predator. But, uh, oh, uh, John McTiernan was the first director, anyway. I know Shane Black did some writing on it as well. Wasn't he also in it, or was he in the yeah. more recent one? No, he was in the, he was in the first one. Um, oh, yeah, that's right. He was the guy who was uh, killed by the Predator. Yeah, he's the guy that, that obviously doesn't look like any of the other huge muscle-bound guys. Like, it's so <laughs> clear. Yeah, yeah, that... <laughs> it's so clear that he that he wasn't cast for that reason. They wanted him... Like, you're shocked he's not a translator? Right. But they wanted him on set because they wanted him to punch up uh, certain uh, elements of the script. So uh, they just cast him in the, as a role in the movie, and that's why he dies uh, so quickly. But anyway, so um, so yeah, so he uh, slurps it off. The predator walks up to Veronica and hands her the tries to hand her the sword, you know, hilt side, and they're like, "What? You know, what the hell's going on?" And she won't take it. And the predator, <laughs> this is one of the funniest panels in the whole book. Uh, imagine. In in a regular like Archie comic, if someone's confused, that weird scrunchy look that they get on their face. Well, the <laughs> yeah. predator has that look with a big question mark bubble <laughs> above his head, which just instantly makes him uh, like he can't understand uh, you know what's going on. But uh, and so he just walks away because she won't take the weapon. Apparently, the predator thinks that she's some sort of uh, you know also apex predator that he wants to fight. Which, well, socially she is. That's true. You know that is true. But uh, see what he what he should have done was put a fifty dollar bill on it because that money grubbing whore would do anything for a fifty dollar <laughs> bill. 
He should have showed her a picture of someone in last year's uh, like fashions. <laughs> she would have been she would have been out for blood then. Yeah, but uh, so yeah, he walks away. It's so weird because it's clear, and they know this. You know, first of all, they've emphasized that the entire comic, but it, but uh, the um, army guy also tells them this that if you don't arm yourself. The predator won't hunt you. So they could avoid this thing completely by just not, you know, uh, arming themselves with weapons. That, yeah, that's a really. Uh, so much of that just baffles me. Just like the, so many people in the army know about the predator. So just like some random rank and file guy who's like a retiree. He's like, hey, uh, by the way, these predators. Well, let me tell you. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, so we go to Veronica's bedroom. <laughs> With uh, Betty in bed, waking up, and she says, oh, my God, I had the worst dream. This just got really interesting. (laughs) And, uh, you know, Veronica comes up to her, and she's holding the knife. And she's like, oh, no, that wasn't a dream. So, uh, apparently... What the fuck? So, apparently, Betty Betty fainted and thought that she dreamed the last uh, week of her life somehow. I like how that's, that's common enough that she thinks, like, oh, it's another dream. Right. But uh, anyway, so um, Betty's pissed. She says that we're going to, uh, you know, we're going to fight this this thing. And her dad, uh, she set her house to self-destruct because her dad, who's some sort of arms dealer or something like that, or, or it's implied that uh, he's been selling arms to different uh, countries, uh, that uh, he has a safe room that I- in the house that's bomb-proof, I guess, uh, and they're going to uh, destroy the rest of the house while they are safe in the safe room. So Veronica takes them, uh, you know, Betty and Archie, the wounded Archie, into the safe room, Archie's, you know, dying, basically. Um, and they put him on this giant medical bed that uh, that uh, her dad had installed in the safe room. And there's several buttons on here. And she, she turns the dial all the way up to the highest level uh, because the machine apparently can tell that Archie's dying. So... Um, it, uh, you know, she turns it all the way up and then it says that he's been stabilized. So, you know, she kisses him, her and, uh, and she pulls Betty out, uh, of the room so that they can, um, uh, you know, get some clothes because Betty's covered in bloody clothes and she wants her to look good for when Archie wakes up. <laughs> I like how they have this magical bed that will heal someone from near death, but he decides to go into the arms dealing business. Right? Yeah, that always confuses me when someone's like a villain and um and they uh you know they have a machine like this and it's like you know I'm gonna hostage the world for uh you know a hundred million dollars or something. It's like just just sell that for a hundred million dollars. Right. <laughs> just pat in the bed and uh, you're you're gold and people think you're a hero. Yeah. You're equally rich, if not more. Exactly. But uh, while they're out of the room, uh, we see the bed, you know, the bed says, uh, never turn past seven. Or no, no, never turn past five. And she's turned it all the way to 11. 
suddenly, <laughs> suddenly, suddenly there's, uh, you know, like Archie basically looks like he's turning into a mutant man. <laughs> like there's bubbles all over his skin. Stuff like <laughs> why that. would that be an option for the setting? If you can't turn to past five, why would there be six more options? I don't know. But we see uh, we see Betty getting dressed, um, which is nice, and uh, she's uh, she's putting on some kind of pink ball gown that uh, <laughs> with a bunch of frills on the bottom. She looks like Scarlett O'Hara almost. But uh, so anyway, they're all, you know they're getting dressed and everything. Veronica's got uh, an Uzi. That's apparent okay. apparently from her uh from her dad. And then there's just a big splash page that says, Guess who's coming to dinner? And the predator is right outside her door. She starts shooting at it, uh, you know, it, it's dodging and everything. Uh her and Betty, you know, basically try to fight it, and uh the predator approaches them, approaches Betty, looks like he's going to uh to get them. And uh, he gets he gets her lucky hair scrunchie, which Betty oh, wants yeah. to go back for, but uh, she you know obviously they don't. Um, and uh, they're running back. That wasn't obvious at all by the previous events and the actions they had done. <laughs> they they're running back towards the panic room, and the predator is about to grab Veronica when a giant arm comes and clasps the predator's hand. You know that <laughs> you know that scene in uh The Predator where Arnold Schwarzenegger and Billy D Williams have the most awkward handshake known to man where they just clasp their hands together but they're also flexing at the same time. I, I believe you mean Carl Weathers. Or actually. Carl Weathers, yeah, I'm sorry. Uh but that's that's exactly what it looks like. Nice. So Archie punches the predator who goes flying because apparently for some reason this medical machine can also basically turn you into a superman because another good thing to sell instead of arms right because now he's a giant like he looks like archie but he's huge with rippling with rippling muscles and everything (laughs) so you know veronica says uh, I think I set the machine too high. And Betty says, oh, it's okay. I forgive you. And they're both like drooling, you know, uh, over what? because he's so <laughs> big and muscular now. So he picks up a an axe and uh, the predator picks up a mace. They start fighting each other. Archie gets hit in the shoulder. He throws the axe at the predator, which, uh, which uh, hits a chandelier crashing down on the predator. They keep fighting. Veronica picks up the knife uh, because uh, he's going. She's going to stab the predator in the back while uh, while Archie's fighting him. Um, and then the uh, you know the pre- like Betty starts to come in with a sword to help too, and the predator uh, lops off uh, one of Archie's hands or well, no one of uh, Betty's hands. Sorry. And then Archie, while he's stunned, you know, uh, looking at her, the predator stabs him through the head and then just obliterates his entire head with his other hand <laughs> in a shower of blood just everywhere. Betty's going to need another gown. Betty's, uh, you know, obviously distraught. She says, you killed my Archie. And then she stabs it uh, through the chest 
while uh, Veronica hits it in the back of, back of his head. Uh, the magic knife kind of goes poof, and it looks like uh, the Predator is about to die. It's mortally wounded. They get to the panic room. They close the door. Uh, the The house blows up, and the Predator is kind of, uh, you know, obviously incinerated. Uh, we move back. We go back uh, inside the panic room. Veronica uh, has healed Betty's arm, and then she kind of passes out. And, you know, we move in and uh, she wakes, Veronica's waking up and she says, oh, what happened? And Betty says, oh, I used your dad's machine to heal us. It's it's uh, really super. And did you know there's a whole section in the manual on face and body reconstruction? <laughs> and she says, please tell me you didn't give yourself plastic surgery. And Betty says, oh, no, but I guess we won't have to live with Archie after all. Um and you see the predator lying on the bed <laughs> and apparently she dragged the before the explosion Betty dragged the predator inside the panic room he's lying on the bed and he's got a big R Riverdale uh sweater on <laughs> uh, still mostly a predator face but you can see half is being turned into Archie so they're making the predator into Archie and she says, I mean, we'll have to teach him to chill around uh, the cutlery, but he is devoted to us after all. He dragged himself in here with us. Wow. And that is where we end Archie and the Predator. There's there's two comic conventions, and uh, we obviously live in Metro Detroit. Mm-hmm. I don't. I, I. I honestly will not get the names right. One's the Michigan Comic Con. I think that's the one in Livonia. Okay. I could be wrong. David Gibbons, the uh, the guy who did all the art for the Watchmen, was there a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's another one that I think it was their first year, and I was kind of shocked because they had a lot of like really big name, like you know, people for like sci-fi slash comic slash fantasies. And uh, my family, my two kids and wife and I are huge fans, huge fans of Futurama. Oh, yeah. And lo and behold, who was there? Billy West. Oh, really? Now, see, I might have gone to see Billy West. Yeah, we, we specifically would just see Billy West. We had a park, and we walked like a mile and a half down the beautiful Detroit uh, River, you know, walk, which mm-hmm. is amazing. You know, it was really nice that time of year. There was like 5,000 gnats, I think, attacking everybody. But other than that, it was, you know, amazing. It really is beautiful down there. Yeah, so we went down. We went to there, and it was like almost closing time. And we were kind of – was. we thought we'd, you know, kind of like maybe everyone would be gone because it was closing time. Mm-hmm. But, oh, we paid the fee. We went in, and much to our delight, the person we went to go see, Billy West, is still there. It was like an hour until closing, and he was still there. Mm-hmm. So there's one person in line ahead of us. He's jibber-jabbering. You know, Julia West is a very nice, you know, person to talk to. He'll go on and on. He'll he, The guy even asked him to say, shut up and take my money. He said that, you know, Alliance from Futurama. So, so me, my wife, and our daughter, who's 10 years old at the time, go in for a picture with Billy West. You know, we he puts his arm around us. You know, he's not a giant guy, but, you know, we knew that going in. Hmm. Um. And then he tells us a nice little tale. He goes, oh, yeah, I grew up here in Detroit. He goes, oh, man, it was really fucked up. <laughs> he goes, my uh, my father, he had a uh, loaded thirty eight uh, revolver in his top drawer. I often dreamed about taking it out of the top drawer and shooting him in the head because it was so abusive to me and my mother. Oh, my God. 
I'm like, oh, okay, thank you. Thanks for <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah, and I'm like, I mean, that's fine for me and my wife, but my 10-year-old, I don't think he needs to know that about Philip C. Fry. Wow, so, so Billy West just uses fans as his own personal therapist. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, yes, he does. Movies ever. Yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to distract us from the main topic so much. Uh, go ahead. Oh, that's fine. Uh, so now, speaking of distracted, I think that uh, that the dad on Alf was distracted when people were taking photos of him, which I'll tell you about <laughs> in our regular segment, Celebrity Criminal Inkblot. It's a well-named segment. I don't want any letters on the name of the segment. But uh, this is where we tell you about crimes committed by celebrities. Mike, do you want to go first so that we can save this very delicious story for the end? Or do you want me to go first because you just can't wait to hear it? I've been waiting to hear this since last week, so go ahead. Okay. So, the dad from ALF... A man named Max Wright. Uh, if you've never seen Alf, picture uh, any 80s dad, and that's what he looked like on the show. Um, he, uh, After the show was over, he was photographed and caught by the National Enquirer. I think this was probably about three or four years after the show was over. Smoking crack... And may and having uh, gay sex with <laughs> with two men. <laughs> one one. Well, they can't they, they cancel each other out. Right. That's true. I forgot about the inverse property of homosexual sex. If you have two men, then they cancel out, and it's like you're masturbating. But yeah, one black and one white man. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But you can say he's not a racist, that's for sure. Right. But smoking crack in a crack house and then having sex with the men and it was plastered. I mean, if you ever go online and look it up, you, you should. And anyone out there uh, I don't think I will. You should look it up. But uh they uh there is um yeah, there's uh <laughs> there's some interesting pictures of him smoking crack in this crack house. It is, it's so weird because, and like I said, I mean, we don't have anything against homosexuality or anything, but it, but the smoking crack's very shocking. And it's so weird because he was, the his character on Elf was so mild-mannered and, you know, never did anything wrong, like the perfect kind of 80s father and to see him. And Willie Tanner quite frequently said, I will not smoke crack and have a threesome with two other men. I mean, there's a whole other- That's right. That's right. There, that, that was a famous Alf episode where he made that proclamation. And it just shows that he's a hypocrite. And like Norm MacDonald says, well, that's that's the worst part. Oh, that, that that's a perfect response, of course. Norm MacDonald referring to the Bill Cosby scandal. Yeah, because because um, uh, Patton Oswalt, who I like and who Norm likes, uh, said that uh, what he thought the worst part of 
the whole Bill Cosby situation was the hypocrisy. And Norm's response was, <laughs> I, I disagree. I think it was the rape. <laughs> because and the the way the way he goes into the details is hilarious as always with Norm. But he's like, uh, you know, m- most you, you I think you'll find most rapists are hypocrites. <laughs> there, you know, very few rapists out there saying, uh, well, you know, I just like to rape and, you know, I know it's not politically correct, but it's just what I like to do. <laughs> I was like, oh, well, you know, uh, at least he's not a hypocrite, you know, and that's the worst part. <laughs> so uh, I find this weird about this Max Wright thing, because I would think that, you know, especially in the 80s, like being like, well, obviously, star, he's not a puppet for Mel Mac, but one <laughs> of the stars, the Elf show, he probably would have enough money to not have to go to a you know, a crack house to smoke crack with uh, two other men he was having a sexual uh, encounter. Yeah, well, I don't know. I mean, I don't, like I said, I think this was maybe about five years or so after the show ended. It was a well, really... so I mean... Yeah, it was a really popular show, and I'm sure he, it was still in reruns at that time, and I'm sure he was getting residual checks, but I don't know how long his addiction had been going on. Maybe he, he had spent a lot of money on crack at this point. <laughs> Yeah, if you know anything about the uh, ALF show, which we discussed last week, there were trap doors that were essentially death traps all throughout the set. So maybe just, yeah, like PTSD from working on ALF. Right, maybe he got injured after falling through one of the trap doors that they used for ALF to be able to pop out anywhere. And uh, he got addicted to cocaine. And then, you know, cocaine's expensive. And he had to uh, to move to crack. And cr- Alf is like a uh, a landmine for PTSD. Did you ever see the movie uh, Permanent Men? No. It's a uh, it's based on the uh, life of Jerry Stahl, who was one of the writers for Alf. Okay. And like he like <laughs> Jerry Stahl during writing for Alf becomes a heroin. Addict. Oh my god! And at one point he beca- he has like this really like disturbing hallucination where like uh, they call it, they don't call it Alf they call it Mister Chompers. <laughs> well, like at one point he's having like a really disturbing hallucination where Mister Chompers is trying to come through a door to eat him. It's a it's a pretty good movie. I'm not a huge Ben Siller fan like uh, everyone else in America. <laughs> but, I mean, it's 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 you know it's a, it's interesting. Uh, Elizabeth Hurley's in it. I'm always a fan of watching her on screen. Yeah, me too. I like Elizabeth Hurley a lot because she's a great actress. Yeah, have you seen Bedazzled? I have. Yeah, that uh, she's. That's uh, not the best movie in the world, but uh, that's a movie I like to watch. Oh, yeah. Brendan Fraser is amazing. <laughs> I think it's a pretty funny movie, but yeah, Elizabeth Hurley, I'll, I'll watch pretty much anything she Absolutely. Um, so, now, what about you? What's your in- installation in, uh, I forget what we call this, Celebrity Crime Ink Blot... Station. How can you forget? It's a regular segment on our show. <laughs> I know. I just have that bad of a memory. I see. Well, mine's, uh, mine's of course, not officially a crime, but it possibly is. Okay. And are, I, as many people are, I'm a huge fan of Christopher Walken. Oh, yeah. Um, oddly enough, I mostly know him from his comedic work, like on uh, SNL, and he's in a lot of movies I like. Like, he's in... Um, Pulp Fiction, of course, he has a memorable monologue. He's like only in the movie maybe five minutes, but his whole scene it just steals you there. Movie. Yep. He's in um, the movie, another uh, written by Quentin Tarantino, not directed. Um, True Romance. He's again in that movie maybe five minutes and has just an amazing. Monologue. Yeah, he's very good in that movie. I like that movie a lot. He's on some like super amazing. He's 
possibly the only guest on uh, SNL to have his own special like DVD. I, I know they don't really make DVD, but as far as I know, I mean, Alec Baldwin has been on there enough. He probably could get one, but I think Christopher Walken might be the only one who actually has his own special. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, I, I know I've, I, I remember those from the late nineties, early two thousands. And I know like Chris Farley had one and Adam Sandler. Yeah, Will Ferrell had three, I think. Yeah. But yeah, I know. I think Christopher Walken was the only one they did who wasn't a a regular member of the cast. Yeah, and he had like some great characters. I mean, I mean, I'm not a big fan of the Continental. I know a lot of people are really into it. My wife, was. Um, he he was in, of course, the cowbell sketch. Mm-hmm. Um, he was great in the. Uh, I think this is what this is what you do that I love is the uh, the centaur uh, the centaur job interview. Yep, that's a good one. That's a great one. One of my favorite ones is um, he played. Yeah, the census taker. I love that so much. Yeah, that's good. That's the best. <laughs> uh, was that what you were going to say? Yeah, that's the one I was going to say. Yep. Oh, that's funny. But what's kind of troubling is uh, he was on the boat that Robert Wagner was on the night that Natalie Wood died. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. I've read a little bit about it. It's really kind of weird. So it's kind of disturbing to think that um, I don't know if he was a participant, and I certainly wouldn't say that, but, I mean, it's a possibility. Yeah, and and even if he wasn't, you know, did he know what was going on, uh, you know? And, I mean, there obviously there's never been evidence shown or charges brought against Robert Wagner in the death of Natalie Wood, but it is uh, weird that the three of them were on this boat together overnight. You know, she, uh, Robert Wagner and her have a fight, she ends up overboard and, you know, drowns. Uh, it's a weird situation. And, and explaining Christopher Walken being on the boat is 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 hard and weird. And hilarious. So, yeah. I mean, I mean maybe if he had, you know, worked with a puppet for a few years and was uh, with a couple <laughs> of fellas in a crack house, that, that makes sense. I mean, hey, is that a crime? Not to me, it's not. God, Alf drove so many people to... To just maybe, and, and you know, this happened in the eighties. Maybe Robert Wagner was watching Elf. Maybe they got, oh maybe they got into an argument <laughs> about an episode of Elf. He's not an alien. He's a mutant. Shut up. <laughs> maybe oh that's God. what the argument was about. And Christopher Walken was trying to was trying to make peace between the two of them. And uh, oh you know, oh my God, was Robert Wagner was Robert Wagner ever on Elf? Is what I want to know. Oh my God, I should look that up. Let's see. Let me see if Robert Wagner was ever on Elf. Uh I know he was on um, Heart to Heart. Oh, uh, oh, apparently not. No, not on his IMDb. Well, would you put that on your IMDb? <laughs> That's true. I guess I'd have to go through every episode of Alf just to make sure that he wasn't on there. You know, I do... Uh, Better you than me. Yeah, go ahead. Better you than me. Right. As you know, I do a uh, a video series on YouTube called Dumpster Diving that I don't think you've ever seen, but I think you're aware of its existence. And I did an episode of Alf one time when he dated a blind chick. <laughs> What? Yeah, he da- he he was lonely, and he ended up getting a date through the radio, <laughs> and the woman turned out to be blind, and he went on a okay. he went on a date to her apartment and started describing 
things about the apartment to her since she couldn't see. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, she um, she ended up touching him at some point in the night, like touching his face before he left, and and really uh, probably was disturbed by how much hair she felt. But maybe she and just... They, then maybe, they had the great line, that's my nose. <laughs> she might have just thought he was Bob Seger. Yeah, it could be. <laughs> Another great Norm MacDonald joke there. <laughs> yeah. That that um, um, studies show that men with beards are more attractive, more fine work from the University of Bob Seger. <laughs> uh, Mike's favorite of the Kevin Smith movies, uh, a couple years later, uh, Dogma. Oh, yeah, that's easily my favorite Uh and it's not saying I don't like the other ones, but I, I could watch Dogma all day. I love that movie. You want to tell us what the story of Dogma is? Yeah, Dogma, much like Chasing Amy is like a, a lot of inside references to Kevin Smith's uh, relationship issues. Dogma, I think, is a big uh, big kind of allegory of his conflict with his religious belief. Mm-hmm. The idea of Dogma is that two uh, angels have uh, found a loophole in uh, basically the entire concept of religion. Whereas if they cross through this, um, is it an arc? Yeah, the archway of this church. Yeah, yeah. If they cross through it, then they will uh, basically become uh, be forgiven for all their sins, and they can get into heaven, which is something that God, played by Alanis Morissette, says that can't happen. So it'll basically negate all of existence. Right. Yeah. The uh, um, Alan Rickman kind of explains he's like uh, the basis of the entire universe is that God is infallible. And if someone were to prove God wrong, it would negate all of existence. Yeah, and so, of course, uh, the angels are on the process to do this. Um, one of them played by, um, is it Bartleby that's played by uh, Ben Affleck? Uh, let's see. There's I, know, I know Loki is Matt Damon. I don't remember. I think it's yeah. Bartleby. Yeah, Bartleby's Ben yeah, Affleck and Loki is Matt Damon, yep. Yeah, so Bartleby's the more clever of the two. Um, he's he he knows that this will ne- negate existence, where he's kind of dragging uh, Matt Damon along for the ride. Where Matt Damon just thinks he'll get back in that. Yeah, and Matt Damon, like Matt Damon, plays a dumb guy in this movie, kind of like. But it's a very first of all, the the chemistry, and you know, I know that that Ben Affleck and Matt Damon have known each other since they were kids and stuff like that. But the chemistry. Uh, between the two of them and between the director, uh, Kevin Smith as well, is clearly evident. Um, they work incredibly well together. They go back and forth really well together. They're, they're, they're just excellent with each other. And Ben Affleck, uh, or I mean, Matt Damon plays an idiot in the most subtle, like, nuanced performance I've ever seen of someone playing someone that's just kind of not super bright oh yeah yeah for sure he's 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 not he's playing a dumb guy who isn't like obviously dumb i mm-hmm. mean you if you pay attention you're like oh he's he doesn't he's not very smart but he's not like oh look at me i'm tripping over all the all over the place or i'm saying the dumbest things ever he's just like you said he's a very subtle performance so it's a good performance by matt damon for sure oh yeah and th- there's only one like part where he where he kind of stands up to to Ben Affleck, it's you know it's like a emotionally charged scene, um, but you know even after that he kind of just goes along with it, he just sort of goes along the entire movie, and and yeah Bartleby is definitely more of the driving force of the the film. 
Yeah, and there's um, I'm, I'm going away. I, I can't remember the opening scene. The opening scene. So they open. Well, first of all, there's a. Yeah, even no, the opening credits are pretty funny because there was a lot of controversy over this movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is probably his most. Con- I mean, Chasey Amy was controversial, I think, because you know, heaven forbid, the gays have a, a say in the movie making process <laughs> at the time. Right. And there was there was controversy for sure over Chasey Amy because there was you know they had characters who weren't you know the standard you know heterosexual characters and that sort of thing, but. I mean that's bad enough, I suppose, for the you know those people who have enough time to criticize movies, right? <laughs> but then even at the beginning of uh, of Chasing Me, there's like a long disclaimer about how he's not trying to be offensive towards you know Catholicism mm-hmm. or platypuses. I mean, there's like a there's quite a bit of it because I mean there was there's it's it's hard to believe in this day and age, but there was a lot of controversy over the fact that you know what's stated in the Bible isn't you know matter of fact one hundred percent is truth, and that's right. basically what this movie's. Actually, I think I remember how it opens. It opens with a homeless guy playing skee ball on yep. the jersey. On well, the jersey. Well, he's kind of standing. He's sort of standing. Um, on, I just watched this movie last night, so that, like that's uh, that's why I have a bit of an advantage. But oh yeah, for sure. I haven't seen it in a long. I mean, I can watch if I watch a movie and I like it a lot. That doesn't necessarily mean I'll ever watch it again. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I've watched uh, this more than once, and I'd like to watch it again. I just haven't seen it in a long time, so please go ahead. But yeah, he's he's standing like at uh, the railing right before the beach, like on the boardwalk, and he's kind of looking out at the boardwalk, and those three um, those three kids uh, come up to him and kind of bang, you know, like bang the crap out of him. The three the three kids on the. Uh, the rollerblades, the the uh, street hockey players. Yeah, again, another reference to hockey. I mean, I, I can't think of a movie so far in the Kevin Smith universe that didn't have a reference to hockey. Yeah, I don't. Mallrats? Did Mallrats have a hockey reference? Um. Well, yeah, because he's playing uh, the the NHL uh, hockey game at the beginning. Yeah, yeah, you're right. <laughs> That's a great. We we skipped right over that line. That's the best part I've heard. <laughs> Hartford the <laughs> whale. The way- <laughs> yeah, Jason Lee's playing uh, NHL 95 or something, and he's like, he won't have sex with his girlfriend because, you know, he's up, like, what is it, like 30 to 1 or something insane like that? I think it's 26 to 2. I'm sure you're right, yeah, but it was it, it was just such such a monumental, monumental event that he couldn't do anything else. Oh, my God. But, yeah, so they, they beat the crap out of him. As we later learn, that's God. You know, who who loves skee-ball and comes and finds a human body to inhabit for a little bit uh, to play skee-ball once every month or so. And as part of the plan of Jason Lee's character, uh, Azrael, um, they can't kill him because then he'll, you know, he'll go to heaven because it's God. Um so they have to incapacitate him in some way that he doesn't die. So they put him, you know, the, the three of them put uh, him into a coma. Which, you know, I think it's, it, it always struck me as funny. Uh, these three uh, little minions that he's got are clever enough to, you know, jump God and beat him up to where he's in a coma. Uh, but they can't beat up Jay and Silent Bob. <laughs> Well, I mean, uh, God was in a, uh, I guess he was in like a homeless guy's form. Yeah. You would think that somebody would get him out of this jam, but I guess this this is just not the time. <laughs> yeah, this, this movie has so many controversial things. I mean, there's the right to, I mean, he's in a coma. I mean, mm-hmm. 
And there's like, you know, people say you should stay on life support for as long as you can. That's an issue in this movie. Yep. Abortion's a big issue. The main character, Bethany, works at an abortion clinic, even though she's like a diehard, goes to church as often as you can, Catholic. Yeah, she's sort of like a bored, like losing faith in her religion kind of Catholic. Um, yeah, but she can't quite take that final step to fully, you know, divest herself of her religion. Yeah, and she still she still gives to the collection and everything. Janine Garofalo's in this movie for for a short period of time. She plays uh someone that works with with uh Bethany uh at the abortion clinic and she said, you know, oh, you know, how would they react if they knew that your weekly tithing came from a uh, you know, a planned parenthood check. Yeah. Yeah, and then like another that's like a, probably the second scene when they introduce Bethany maybe yeah, the, yeah, the uh yeah, after um beating up the uh the homeless guy, they uh the next scene is her in church, kind of just like uh you know, uh like reciting the the words, you know. Yeah, then I think then she has a dream that night with uh Alan Rickman is he's good in everything I've ever seen Alan Rickman in. Mm-hmm. I would watch any movie with Alan Rickman. He's even good in stuff I haven't seen him in. That's how good of an actor he is. Yeah, he was in a Miss Buttersworth commercial I've never seen. He's amazing. <laughs> but no, Alan, Alan Rickman, he's, uh, he plays the Metaron, which is the voice of God. Yep. Which I think makes sense as far as like the Choir of Angels, ETC. Yep. I'm not religious, but I mean, I, I've studied or learned enough about it to know that that is a real thing. Yeah, in the movie, everything later- he says is accurate in the movie, yep. And they later explain that God, if you were to hear God it, herself's voice, because God is played by Alanis Morissette. Right. Which must mean Dave Collier had the time of his life with her. <laughs> but oh. I mean, so, so he, she can't speak herself. So she, all her, you know, dictate, she dictates everything through the Metaron. So Bethany has a vision where she's in a restaurant, which is like, I think down the street from where she actually sleeps. Yep. He's basically telling you, he's like, oh, you have you have to watch out. These two, you know, these two helpers. I can't remember if he calls them. They're not angels for sure. They're Jane, Silent Bob. Prophets. They're prophets. And then so she's like, okay, whatever. She wakes up and there's like a, there's like the Mariacha Shaker or whatever that's called. Uh, yeah, they're, uh, um, damn, what are they called? Um, oh, not ca- I don't know. Not castanets. Those are the, the ones you, yeah. Yeah, whatever whatever it is, she has it. Carmen so Miranda she, things. <laughs> bananas? Yeah, right. <laughs> so she goes to work the next day and then she stays late and when she's leaving, she's jumped by the same three uh demonic kids that, you know, beat up God. Mm-hmm. But they can't beat up Jay and Silent Bob. Yep. Jay and Jay and Silent Bob were hanging out there because they were looking for loose women. <laughs> yes. They figure if if uh chicks were going to an abortion clinic, then they'll they'll definitely put out they're not wrong. Uh, the one complaint that I have about this movie, and I'm wondering how you feel about it. Um, I don't love Linda Fiorentino. Yeah, I don't think she's a great actress. And I, but I actually heard that there's a lot of conflict with her and Kevin Smith during the entire movie. That doesn't like surprise he, me at all. Like he didn't like her, she didn't like him, which is interesting because I heard the same thing about Shannon Doherty. Yep. 
So I wonder. I wonder if like there's an actress like that has like a like Shannon Doherty was actually pretty like famous from like nine hundred two and zero or whatever before then. Mm-hmm. I wonder if like his like approach to filmmaking at least at that time wasn't like enough that they like really respected him. I don't know what the issue was, but from what I've heard, they like just didn't get along. Well, I know he wanted Joey Lauren Adams to be to play uh, the Bethany role in in the movie, and I can see, see her a little bit in it, but I I don't know. See, I, I don't think that would be a better choice than the woman who actually was in it. I think she did a good job, but yeah, her performance wasn't like you know super convincing. She didn't seem very conflicted. She was kind of like you know very subdued. She just plays it really weird. Like there's um like when she's uh when she's talking to Alan Rickman's character at the beginning, and um you know she's like he's talking and she's like she kind of like nods her head and she's like. The 10th plague, you know, and, and stuff like that. She seems almost like she's drunk or, or like, I don't, I don't, I don't know if she's trying to play it like she's asleep. It's just her performance just seems not in every part of the movie, but in, in certain aspects, it just seems like you can tell her and Kevin Smith are not on the same page because yeah, it, for it, sure. it just it doesn't seems fit with off. the rest of the performances in the movie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It clashes with a lot of the rest of the other performances. Yeah. Yeah, she's. I don't think she's a bad actress. She's just not playing it as you know the rest of the actors are playing. Exactly. There's like they're playing it like you know there's a little bit of humor, but there's you know there's definitely like a dramatic like you know storyline they're trying to convey the whole time. But it's it's uh, she's just like really like I'm over this kind of thing the whole movie. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, she's saved by Jay and Silent Bob, and then she remembers the vision she had from the Metaron, and so she's like, "Okay, these guys will take me where I need to go." Because she suddenly believes, you know, after a weird dream, that she suddenly believes everything that she didn't believe anymore is true. Yeah. Which I mean, I mean, if it weren't for that, whatever the fuck that thing's called, not Maraca, but whatever. I mean, I guess it wouldn't make sense, but that does, you know. Yeah, I think it is Maracas. I think think it is (laughs) Maracas. Yeah, so after that, they go on their adventures. Um, Jay and Silent Bob take her, and Jay and Silent Bob, of course, are trying to fuck her the whole time. Yeah, I think they're actually trying to get her a three-way at one point. I'm not sure. Oh no, they 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 extract a promise that if the world's on the verge of ending, that she'll have sex with both of them. Correct, but Jake is to go first. Yep. Yeah, that's obvious. I mean. <laughs> And what I just remembered about this movie is this is there's a pretty fucking funny part, and this this is this makes okay. If you recall, they're at a diner or a restaurant, and they're talking about Sherman, Illinois, which is a setting of many John uh, Hughes films. Yep. So they're going on and on about, oh man, that guy's the man. He makes these great movies, you know. Yeah. And then later, at one point, uh, Selma Hayek plays a muse. Yes, I noticed this. Go ahead. Yeah, and then she's, she's like, oh, yeah, I made a deal with the devil for this guy who made this movie, uh, which is basically Home Alone. But John Hughes made Home Alone. Yeah. I, I always, like, I, when I was watching it last night, that struck me because, yeah, she says that um, she's a muse and she inspires people. And she was responsible for 15 of the 16 top grossing films of all time. And Bethany asks what the one that she wasn't involved with was. And she goes, that... Uh, that movie with the kid and his parents are gone and she puts her, she claps her hands to her face yeah, and yeah. goes, ah, you know, she goes, I had nothing to do with that one. Someone <laughs> sold their soul to the devil to get that. The grosses up on that piece of shit. 
Yeah, and that's John Hughes. I know, and I, I said, I said, so I, was watch, I was watching it with my wife, and I was like, that's a John Hughes movie, too. <laughs> Which is weird. I mean, I'm sure Kevin Smith knew that, but it's just so funny that there's, like, such reverence for John Hughes, and like, oh, fuck you, John Hughes, you sold your soul to the devil. <laughs> right? Oh. But, yeah, so it's, all in all, I think, uh, I think Dogma's, uh, I mean... Uh, the this is like you know there there are a few I won't recommend the uh, um, Kevin Smith movies unfortunately but the, you know this is another one that I would uh, I would recommend and uh, I think this is uh, you know an incredibly strong movie. There's a lot of good philosophy in this movie. There's a lot of good humor in this movie. Um, I think Jason Lee playing the role of uh, Azrael is you know again. Seal a performance that seals the movie. He's great in it. He's not in it very long, but he's he's really good. There's he, a conflict where he is also a muse at one point. Yeah. He re, and during the war in heaven, he refused to join sides because he considered himself to be an artist. And then Selma Hayek he basically says, "Well, Elvis was an artist. He went to the army." Yeah, it, you know, and it's funny too because you know it, it's presented in a way where you can kind of see both sides of the arguments. You know, like, uh, why should he have gotten punished because he didn't take sides? But then it's like, uh, hey, you know, if you're not going to stand up for... I mean, like, if we're assuming all this is real, it's like, you know, you're not going to stand up for God, you know, um, when, uh, you know, someone's trying to take over heaven. I mean, what does that say about you? <laughs> no. Oh, yeah, for sure. But uh, and then there's like a... Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, if Chasing Amy is his, like, most personal and most kind of, like, serious, uh, you know work or or movie i think dogma is probably his smartest yeah there's a lot of i mean there's obviously a lot of religious overtones to this movie mm -hmm. there's like great scenes like when they when, when there could be a more obvious uh blasphemy than the uh, restaurant movies golden calf yes the golden calf it's a whole franchise whole franchise about a golden cow and they go to the board <laughs> meeting and um, Bartleby, who can like, he could look into people's souls. He basically just calls out every member of the board as mm -hmm. being like sinful and directly, you know, being opposed to God and His will. And at the very end, like, there's one woman. He's like, "Oh, well, you, you're a saint. You know, you haven't done anything wrong. You're perfectly fine." Mm -hmm. But then Matt Damon, being the dumb guy and also the most dogmatic, goes, "But when I sneeze, you didn't say God bless you." <laughs> yeah, that was the best. He's like, but you didn't say God bless you when I sneeze. He's yeah. about to shoot her. And uh, Bartleby's like, come on, Loki. And he just looks at her and he goes, you're getting off light for not saying God bless you. Which is an interesting take because he's not wrong. I mean, if you look at the religious texts, there's so many, especially in the book of, I think it's Deuteronomy. Mm -hmm. There's so many tiny things that are like equally blasphemous to like first degree murder, like mixing multiple fabrics, not eating fish or eating meat on a Friday. Yep. They're equally bad. And that's basically like, I don't know if that's a direct reference to that or not, but it's certainly within the realm of possibility. Well, I think, you know, and I know that, that Kevin Smith obviously was raised Catholic. Um, he, uh, he's read a lot about Catholicism and, and other religions. I know. I don't think that it's a coincidence that, Matt Damon's character Loki is the most simple-minded and also the most dogmatic. Oh yeah, for sure. I think we would be we would uh, be neglectful to our review if we didn't mention the uh, the addition of 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 kind of very infrequent contributor to the uh, Kevin Smith universe, mm -hmm. the uh, great George Carlin. Yep, yep. Yeah. This gives us one of the funniest visual gags when he he's trying to make like a cool or hip uh, religion. He comes up with Buddy Christ. Yes, the Buddy Christ. 
Where it's Jesus giving a big thumbs up and a wink. <laughs> yeah, and it's you know it's funny with um, with uh, Carlin's obvious take on on religion and stuff. He said went during his lifetime. He said a lot of stuff uh, you know about religion, and he plays a cardinal who's Cardinal Glick, who's obviously um, you know like his motivations are not a hundred percent pure. He's he's obviously more in it for kind of self aggrandizement and stuff like that. You know, doing uh, doing like everything that he's doing, it's uh, it's definitely an interesting take. I see why why religious people were upset. I suppose, although I'm, you know, I'm one of those people that uh, that says if you don't like the subject of a movie or a TV show or something, just don't watch it. <laughs> like, I mean, George Carlin alone being in the movie could be like controversial because of his you know outstated atheism during his whole life, right? And just like severe, and it's kind of funny. He has a whole bit on like religious people wearing hats, and of course he's a cardinal with like a giant hat at some point. <laughs> yeah. And his whole like he basically like sets up the movie by like saying you know through a marketing campaign that if you pass through these gates that you'll be re- absolved of all sin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he causes you know, the problem. Yeah, pretty. Bad. And then he also causes a solution at one point because um, when Azrael and his goons have uh, like. They're basically the world's ending because they're about to pass through the archway. Mm-hmm. They have them hold up in a bar and like, um, you know, they're basically about to, you know, kill the main characters when they realize, oh, wait, Glick is arrogant enough to bless his golf club. So they're technically a holy instrument. So they use them to kill. Uh, is it they kill Azrael with them? Yeah, they kill. Azrael lets him. He basically because uh, Salma Hayek's uh, character, Serendipity, is uh, like trying to signal to Silent Bob to use the the golf club. That they stole from, uh, from <laughs> yeah. Cardinal Click, and um, and he sees what she's doing, and he was like, "Oh, you, you're gonna, I'm a demon. You're gonna hit me with a, a with a putter or whatever." Yeah, he's yeah. like, "Go on, <laughs> a, a uh, iron, maybe." I don't yeah, know. he's like, "Go on, uh, go on, take your best shot." And he he opens up his shirt and everything, and says, "Do it." So Silent Bob does it, and you know it like totally caves in his. Uh, his chest and everything. Yeah. And then uh, Bethany, uh, who is the last scion, which is she's the the last living descendant of Christ. She blesses the sink and they put the, the three kids heads in there, uh, you know, and, and kill them because she has the power to make holy water. Yeah, that was like, and again, another like, I mean, just like him being so arrogant to bless his club. I think that's, you know, another commentary on like Kevin Smith's view of religion, at least like, oh, they're so, you know, nonchalant with like, oh, I'll bless this. I'll bless this. Give me, you know, some money. I'll bless this. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think, I think, uh, I mean, I, we don't know Kevin Smith personally, obviously, and I haven't talked to him about, you know, anything like this, but I, I think based on interviews and and different things that he's done in movies and stuff like that, that probably his view of religion is probably best, um, summed up by Chris Rock's character in the movie who plays the forgotten 13th apostle Rufus. Rufus, yeah, yeah, that's a good. That's a good. Uh, uh, kid, Chris Rock is not a great actor, and you can tell that from this movie because he basically just yells all of his lines. Yeah, he's. A- and as far as I know, he's in this and James Earl Bob Strike Back, and no other Kevin Smith movies. Not that I'm aware of. Not that I can think of off the top of my head. He, you know, I, I think uh, Chris Rock is funny in uh, certain things. And some of his stand-up is, is funny. Yeah, his stand-up, he has some classic stand-up bits. But, I mean, as an actor, he is not a good actor. But you're right, yeah. He uh, he 
like I, I, I hesitate to even call him an actor. I mean, he's like a lot of times he's just like he's just reading his lines as if he's doing stand up, you know. Oh yeah, for sure. But um, but yeah, he uh, he basically says that um, that uh, having um, beliefs is bad. That um, you know, people die for beliefs, people kill for beliefs. He basically talks about uh, the rigidity of uh, religious belief systems and how they're slow to change, and and people cling on to them even when proven wrong, and things like that. And he says, you know, ideas are better. Having a uh, good idea, ideas can be changed, ideas can be manipulated, molded, and stuff. And that seems to me to be sort of Kevin Smith's. Um, feeling or, or thoughts about religion. I'd agree with that. And also we have to remember that uh, uh, Chris Rock is in a scene with the uh, the guy who played Hooper in um, Chasing Amy. Yeah, that's which right. Which you said his name already. I already forgot. He's very, very briefly in the movie. And I actually read that there was an extended, there was more of an expanded part, but it was kind of cut. Mm-hmm. Where he's like at the uh, strip bar where they meet serendipity and like he's a, he's a gang leader, funnily enough. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I this I, I like this movie is deeply philosophical. I'm not really just myself, but I mean the questions and you know way it like you know puts you know in perspective to other religious beliefs. I think is really interesting. Yeah, I agree. And like you said, Matt Damon is really understated in his performance in this. Ben Affleck's good. Jason Lee is always good. Um, I mean, I, there's good performances. The movie itself is really good. It was very controversial. I don't exactly know why, but I mean, it's I can see why. And George Carl, you can tell George Carl just loved playing. <laughs> yes, absolutely. He George, was just having the time of his life. Yeah, George Carlin is uh, George Carlin is like chewing scenery like all through. Uh, through um you know each he's not in a lot of scenes but in every scene he's in and it's absolutely fantastic yeah it's 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 worth it would be worth it for that alone but the movie itself is good overall so here's the question mike we have and uh we go to one of the most enjoyable it's probably it's probably not my favorite movie of his although it's up there but um this is probably the most enjoyable film experience, like going to the movie experience, I've ever had. Because Mike and I went and saw this uh, this movie together way back in uh, 2001, which it's so weird, is, is uh, 17 years ago now. Um, but Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, and uh, kind of as we've alluded to a few different times, it's a very complex film as far as the the jokes and the inside jokes and the deep cuts and everything goes um i'll just for people who haven't seen it real quick i'll give you a uh a quick synopsis basically in chasing amy uh the comic book artists played by ben affleck and jason lee holden and banky uh had a very popular comic called blunt man and chronic which were based on the life and stories of jalen silent bob and they paid them likeness rights to uh, to publish this comic book. In Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, they learn that there's going to be a movie made uh, about their life. The comic book movies had kind of sort of just started to get popular at that point. Um, and uh, so they, they learn they're going to make a movie about their life, and they don't want uh, this happening because they see people on the internet uh, uh, talking shit about them and everything. And uh, so they travel to Hollywood to put a stop 
to the movie. Um, Mike, how about some impressions or, or what did you think of Jan Silent Bob Strike Back? Is this one of the rare occasions that you actually remember going to see this with me in the theater? Yeah, I remember you and I went, and I think my friend Matt went as well, and yeah. his cousin Aaron. Yeah. I think they were more like kind of like peripheral fans, whereas you and I, I mean, I'm not saying they're not Kevin Smith movie fans, but you and I are more like hardcore fans, I would think. Mm-hmm. I believe we went to the movie theater at Van Dyke and 15, the Sterling Cinema, which isn't there anymore. It's yeah. a different movie theater. And yeah, this this movie is, the, the best way to describe this movie is it's very dense. Like, oh, yeah. I honestly don't know. I mean, I, it's funny. I imagine you'd enjoy it if you weren't a big fan of Kevin Smith. But, oh, my God, does this movie pay off? If you're a fan of Kevin Smith and have seen the previous movies and read about Kevin Smith's life and read and listened to the audio commentaries as you and I did, this movie is a fucking laugh from the beginning to the end. Yeah. Uh, Mike's not going to get this reference. But for any of you out there who are fans of the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies... <laughs> Uh, this is Infinity War. And by that I mean uh, Infinity War could be an interesting movie if uh, you just come into it having not seen any of the other movies, but it you don't get nearly what you get out of it if you've watched all the other movies before then. You know, I think I told you this, Mike, too, that uh, I never watched any of the MCU movies before I started working at uh, Michigan Sports and Entertainment. And, uh, because I just, I like, I was never a huge comic book movie fan or anything. And when the Black Panther movie was about to come out, I was like, well, I, I should, I have this kind of obsessive personality. I said to myself, well, I should watch all of them <laughs> so that I have, so that I have context for this movie. So I watched all 18 at the time movies, uh, oh my God. in like a week and a half, I think, so that I could watch black panther and review it but uh yeah so i got caught up real quick on uh the marvel movies they're you know they're i, I like them they're fine and everything they're not my favorite stuff in the world but they're they're good but yeah this this movie jay and silent bob strike ba- strikes back like like we've mentioned a couple times throughout the course of this uh there are uh inside jokes like um like uh ben affleck being in phantoms and uh, and stuff like that from the audio commentary of Mallrats. Yeah, that's insane. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah. Ben Affleck is on the audio commentary, <laughs> and you and I both would not stop laughing over this. Uh, mm-hmm. They said they're talking about how he was billed on the back of um, Mallrats, and uh, Kevin Smith goes, "Oh yeah, they're uh, they mentioned Ben Affleck," and then in parentheses it says from Phantoms. He goes, "Really from Phantoms?" Like, nah. <laughs> Because fan- and then you and I watch Phantoms and it's a terrible movie. Yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, and, the, and the, there's a joke in here that you know Affleck was the bomb in Phantoms and and stuff, and it's just like these jokes that are so like deep that you know it, it's the this movie, like you said, dense is a really good word because it's a very layered movie. You can enjoy it very surface level as a. Uh, a standard kind of road trip buddy comedy movie. You can uh, appreciate it on a slightly deeper level 
as a uh, someone who's watched the other Kevin Smith movies and and has a familiarity with Jay and Silent Bob and stuff like that, and you can enjoy it at, at like the deepest possible level, where like Mike and I. Uh, you know, in the in the earlier movies, we watched all the movies, plus we watched all the DVD commentaries and uh, stuff like that, and some of like the behind the scene featurettes. And there are just it's one of those super satisfying um, things. I used to, oh yeah, yeah. I, I used to watch Mystery Science Theater three thousand, and they would, and the, I think this is kind of the best way to to describe it. I used to watch that show when, you know, for those of you who don't know, basically they'd watch a B, a bad B movie and they'd make jokes at the screen, sort of like what CinemaSins does now, but it was a television show. And um, they uh, they would tell jokes, you know, a bunch of different jokes, and some of them would be like pretty broad jokes just about what was going on in the movie or like, you know, broad references that most people get. And then every once in a while they'd put in a joke that they know only like 10 people are going to get because, you know, like the frame of reference is so small. You have to, you'd have to have watched or heard or listened to very specific things to get the reference that they're talking about and why it's funny. But they would know that those few people that got it would laugh their asses off and that's kind of what this movie is like i I can see kevin smith putting all these things in saying okay you know people that are super super fans are just gonna fucking love this (laughs) that's that's a perfect perfect analogy because i mean i don't know is it 10 percent five percent one percent of fans would get all these jokes and oh my god these jokes are fucking hilarious first of all the um, let's see. It starts off. They're hearing about the movie of Buttman and Chronic. They call uh, Banky. Mm-hmm. No, no, not Banky. Holden. They got they they call Holden about the rights. Yep. Correct. Yep. Yeah, and they go see him. Yeah. Yeah. So that's like a very quick. Uh, and, and I think Ben Affleck plays multiple roles in this. Does he not? He does. He plays. He plays. Hold, so does Jason Lee. They both play. Or I think. Or yeah, Jason. Yeah, Jason Lee does too. They both play. Um, they play their characters from Chasing Amy, Holden, and Banky. And then um, uh, Jason Leaf also plays Brody from, from <laughs> Mallrats. And I can't imagine how confusing that is to the casual viewer. And Ben Affleck plays himself, yeah. starring in uh, yes. starring yes. starring in uh, Goodwill Hunting Two: Colon Hunting Season. Hunting Season. <laughs> yep, that's right. That's right. <laughs> and then uh, there's there's oh yeah, it's it's amazing. So. Let's start this off. The beginning of the movie, uh, they find out that they're like, oh, they're pissed because the rights have been, you know, they feel stolen that they're making a movie. And then Jay and Silent Bob naturally think that, oh, this is going to be a terrible movie. Right. So uh, they go to the movie, they go to the website Movie Poop Shoot, which is where they get all their movie news. Yep. Which is actually a website owned by Kevin Smith. Yep. And then, of course, Jay and Silent Bob, and uh, almost like a callback to Mallrats, say, hey, we have to go destroy this because... And Mallrats, their only motivation to destroy the set of the thing was because they were basically bored, mm-hmm. and this they don't want to be mis- they don't want to be misrepresented. These uh, two drug dealers don't want to be taken in a bad light, right? Uh, you know, for their movie Bluntman and Chronic, the two guys who sell drugs and have only sold drugs in all the Kevin Smith movies they've been in decide that uh, hey, we can have our uh, reputation besmirched. Yeah, yeah. Uh... Someone calls uh, Jay and Bob ball lickers on the internet, and uh, yes. Jason 
Jason uh, or Jay doesn't like that, and uh, really goes goes on a pretty funny rant. And you know they sh- they go to a Moopies, which you know we saw in Dogma. <laughs> yeah, Moopies Golden Calf Restaurant, which is also in Clerks too, um, yeah. which we'll talk about later, I'm sure. Yep. Yeah, they go there, and then they have internet access for free, which doesn't make a lot of sense to me, but that's in the movie. Yeah. And then somehow uh, J- uh, Silent Bob is an amazing typer, so Jay basically like you know dictates what he wants him to type. Mm-hmm. And on yet another deeper level, there's the Jay and Silent Bob soundtrack, which you and I listened to probably 50 times in a row. Not in a row, but oh, yeah. every time we would drive somewhere, we'd listen to it. And the speech he gives, I, I just remember it goes, you are the ones who are the ball lickers. <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> Which is great, of course. Uh, so they decide to embark on a journey to Hollywood, and uh, who do they run into immediately? Oh, wait, this is a uh, a, re- a family reunion of USQ movies. George Carlin, he's a homeless guy now. Yep. And George Carlin teaches them the rules of the road. Do you want to explain the rules of the road, Mark? So the rules of the road are... Uh... Basically, if someone picks you up to, uh, you know, take you wherever they're going to go, then you have to give them head. <laughs> Which is kind of funny because in the previous movie, Dogma, George Carlin was like a cardinal, like, you know, the highest, uh, I don't know what the, you know, hierarchy is in the Catholic Church, but it's, it's up there, I'm sure. Yeah, uh, cardinal is probably just below a pope or is there something above that no i think it's uh i think yeah i think it's pope cardinal and then uh archbishop and bishop i believe that's how it goes sure yeah so he goes from a uh, cardinal to a guy who sucks dick to get rides on the road (laughs) and george carlin again is just chewing the scenery you know having a grand old time Mm -hmm. Uh, i read or heard in an interview that he always wanted to be an actor. George Carlin is a brilliant stand-up comedian. He had a show briefly on Fox, the George Carlin show. Yep. He's an okay actor. He's an amazing comedian. Um, but yeah, Kevin Smith loved George Carlin and you could hear him just, you know, talk about how much he loves George Carlin. Even after he passes away, he, you know, is just like a huge George Carlin fan. Mm-hmm. So George Carlin, you know, if there's any movie and that Kevin Smith is making and George Carlin was still alive, George Carlin's in that movie. Oh yeah. And and Kevin Smith knew how to use George Carlin basically perfectly. Yeah, yeah. There's I mean, he's he's amazing in both his movies. I wouldn't be shocked. Oh no, I would because Kevin Smith seems to get not a lot of uh, you know, love from like critics, but if George Carlin had won like a best supporting actor, yeah, I can see that he's great in both mm-hmm. Dogma and and uh, Jan saw Bob Strike Back. Yep. So let's see. George Carlin uh, gives him the rules of the roads, and according to him, a shot in the mouth is worth a uh, drive down the road. <laughs> yes. So they uh, get, do a semi with him, and they uh, let's see. They they they, uh, they they are having trouble finding a ride. They run afoul of uh, Sean William Scott mm-hmm. and a bunch of uh, attractive women. Um, let's see. They're played by. Shannon Elizabeth, mm-hmm. Eliza Dushku, yep. uh, Jennifer Schwabar Smith? Yeah, Schwabach. That's, uh, Schwabach. That's, that's Kevin, Kevin Smith's, Smith's wife. wife. Yep. And there's isn't there one more? Yeah, the uh, blonde. I believe it's uh, Allie Larder. I think you're right. Yeah, yeah, you're 100% right. That's, that's correct. So they're in the back of the van, and then uh, Sean William Scott, who... If you if if you're into uh, I know you're watching Always Sunny I I advise you skip around personally okay because there's a, there's an episode of Always Sunny called Mac Day and Sean Williams Scott's in it okay. oh my god that's the 
it's it's amazing. Like he plays Country Mac, uh, Mac's cousin from the country, and he's hysterical <laughs> at it. That sounds funny as hell. But yeah, Sean William Scott plays a uh, kind of like a hippie type guy who plays an acoustic guitar and uh, you know revels the uh, group of ladies with his brilliant songs about the environment. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, you didn't realize that uh, they're in a group of uh, of environmentalists who are you know heading to uh, go ahead and disrupt a laboratory. Yeah, environmental terrorists. Yeah, and of course I'm out of order here. So before that, there's a hilarious joke where they're at the uh, convenience store and uh, Jay's watching like Channel Shannon Elizabeth and Eliza Dushku, mm-hmm. and like he's like, you know, Jay, um, who as we discovered in uh, Dogma, uh, jacks off more than any man alive. Yep. But he's thinking about guys the whole time. <laughs> right. But uh, so he sees them approach, and he uh, he uh, Silent Bob, you know, definitely grabs a uh, large size. Uh, fountain drink cup and puts it over Jay's uh, crotch area and Jay uh, 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 a line that just fucking killed the theater. Jay goes, I filled the cup. Yeah. So somehow, so some of these beautiful women and uh, Sean William Scott as well, take them in their uh, van and they're driving towards a laboratory, which their plan is to uh, go ahead and uh, free all the animals. Mm-hmm. So Jay, not being a big fan of competition, uh, devises a plan to, uh, Pretty cleverly tricked Sean William Scott into saying that he would love to fuck a goat. Yeah, and he so seems he, he seems all too eager to agree to it. By the way, yeah, he's very very into it. <laughs> so they basically just I throw love him out of the car. Animals. And then I could be wrong in the sequence of this because it's been a while. I mean, it's a great. I love the movie because it's a it's a fucking like love note from Kevin Smith to everyone who's obsessed with him, which mm-hmm. you and I have certainly you know qualify for um, do they go to the laboratory first or do they have that sequence the scooby-doo sequ- i think uh i think they i think the i think they do go to the laboratory first i think the scooby-doo thing is after that yeah you might be right so they go to the laboratory and the whole thrust of their uh visit to the laboratory is that they're going to free these animals and who do they free a chimpanzee yep named suzanne Suzanne is a fucking throwaway joke. At the very end of Mallrats, they say Suzanne. And I wouldn't be surprised if it was entirely based on this uh, song they had from the band Weezer called Suzanne, yep. which plays right at that moment on the Yep. So this little tiny joke that almost no one would get is, oh, wait, look, we have a chimpanzee named Suzanne. Yep. But while they're freeing Suzanne, the, uh, the women who claim to be environmentalists are actually uh, robbing a... Uh, was it a jewelry store? Yeah, I think it's like a diamond, uh, like importer or exporter. Yeah, yeah, something like that. They, yeah, they, they, the the uh, the like the animal thing is like a cover um, to uh, like a diversion, basically. Oh yeah, the whole time they basically they had Sean William Scott as their rube, but he uh, he was cast out of the van because he wants to fuck goats. Right. So it said Jane Sal Bob are the perfect you know uh, men to set up. Yeah. So. It- and they start getting chased by Will Ferrell's character, who plays um, Marshall Will and Holly, which is a yeah, what, uh, a play on another, Land of the Lost. Just, yeah, yeah. Because the, the the three characters in Land of the Lost are the, are, uh, the Marshall Will and Holly. Yeah. So so they basically like uh, trick Jay and Silent Bob and Jay especially into making a. Uh, Promotional video sounding like they're, you know, a, a terrorist group that specializes in environmental things, which 
of course is hilarious because their group is called the oh shit what is it it's i know the i think it's the coalition for the liberation of interred um something Something with yeah, it's tea. tea. <laughs> so Jay, so they're telling, they're asking Jay. They go, "Hey, what do you want us to?" I am the Click Commander, <laughs> and they have John Stewart. I don't think he, I don't think he was on the Daily Show at the time, was he? I think he was. I think he had kind of just started on the Daily Show at the time. Yeah, so he plays a reporter who's who's broadcasting this video about Jay going on and on about how he loves the clit and he's in he's in charge of it, but mm-hmm. he doesn't realize that he's actually saying he's like the head of a terrorist organization that wants to liberate animals. Right. And that's another great cutaway joke because the cutaway to Ben Affleck who's playing Holden at that time. Mm-hmm. And it, at that point he goes, Man, it's times like this that I really miss dating a lesbian. This is a funny joke, but it doesn't make a lot of sense because, I mean, he didn't really date her, you know, in a context where he was, you know, with, you know, either women and her or anything like that. Right. Maybe he broke up pretty quick. So, yeah, so they basically divert all the attention to Jay and Silent Bob, and then the women, you know, kind of make, you know, they make their own separate way away from the uh, Jay and Silent Bob. But Shannon Elizabeth and uh, Jay kind of develop, like, a uh, attraction at this point. Mm-hmm. Her character's name? I have no idea. Ooh. Well, that's a good question. <laughs> uh, let me think if I can remember it. Um, Jesse? Just something with a J. I remember it was on that soundtrack you and I listened to constantly. Mm-hmm. But while you're thinking about that, Justice. I remember that. Justice. Justice. Yep, yeah, that's right. Justice. That's why, that's why she wears glasses, because Justice is blind. <laughs> yeah. So after that, I think that's when they have their encounter with, I don't know if these people are like famous actors or not, but it was like obviously a reference to uh, Scooby-Doo. Mm-hmm. There's like four like, you know, young, like late teen, early 20s. They're in a van and they're like super fucking high as shit. There's like smoke pouring out of the van, which yeah. is always implied in Scooby-Doo, but never overtly stated. Right. And again, another joke, inside joke uh, to uh, Scooby Doo was that Velma was really like hot to you know spend some alone time with Daffy. Mm-hmm. So after that, they go to do they go to like a, some weird like a uh, cafe that's almost like a um, like a boxcar type cafe. Yeah. And Will Ferrell, as you mentioned before, he plays Marshall Will in Holly, mm-hmm. and this is probably one of his first movie roles. I don't. What do you know? What year uh, Jay and Silent Bob uh, Strike Back came out? You said two thousand one. Two thousand one. Yep. Yeah. So I mean, he was fresh. Not freshly. He was on SNL for a few years though. But I don't think he was in all that stuff before this movie. Um, I don't think so. Night at the Roxbury, maybe. I know he was in. Yeah, Night at the Roxbury was like ninety eight. I know he was in Austin Powers in like a very small yeah, yeah. role. Yeah, very. He was very funny, but yeah, very brief role. Then he was in uh, that movie Superstar. I think that was like ninety nine. But again, you know, he had kind of a small role in that where he was um, the he, jock that Mary Catherine Gallagher wanted to get with. Yeah, and uh, and that wasn't a, a super popular movie or anything. I believe Zoolander came out the same year as Jan Silent Bob Strike Back. I'm not sure which one came out first, but obviously, yeah, I'm not sure. Obviously, coming out in the same year, though, these would have been the like two of the definitely um, like the the bigger roles in, in bigger movies that he had for sure. Yeah, he was he was pretty present in uh, Jan Silent Bob Strike Back. 
So they 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 kind of he kind of confronts them at this weird like diner type thing, and they escape, of course. And then after that, I'm trying to think where they go. They 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 go to Hollywood, correct? Yeah. Do you remember why? I don't remember. Is it for Suzanne's sake, or are they trying to? Um... No, they. Wanna, oh no, that's why. Yeah, they want to stop the movie. They want to interrupt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they. Oh, th- there's another very sly reference when when the the van they get in. Mm-hmm. I don't remember what it is though. It's like an it's like an animal type van. Do you remember what the it's like an acronym or there's like an inside joke there? I cannot remember what it is right now. Yeah, I don't remember off the top of my head either about the van. Yeah, so they get in it with Suzanne, who's been following them the whole time. Yeah. Um, and then they make their way to Hollywood. Yeah. And then uh, Mark, do you want to take it over from here? Yeah. So basically, they um, they they go around the the movie lot and they. They're looking for the Blunt Man and Chronic, um, you know, soundstage where they're filming. And, you know, at first they run into, um, they get into it like a chase with uh, Diedrich Bader plays a security guard that, that sees him and is trying to uh, stop him. And uh, they uh, they wander into a, a fictional production of Scream 4. And uh, Wes Craven's there. And I think... Uh, I believe Courtney Cox's, you know, cameos there too. Um, and then they, um, they uh, run into, um, the, uh, the one we mentioned earlier, the Goodwill hunting too, uh, hunting season, which is hilarious because you've got, uh, you know, Ben Affleck and Matt Damon are there and they're playing themselves, you know, playing these characters and they get, uh, Gus Van Zandt there as well. Um, Who's who's sitting in the director's chair? This is one of the best parts, and he's just counting stacks of money, just counting bills. And uh, like Ben Affleck looks over and he's like, "So you know, are we are we good to go? Action, Gus? You know, and everything." He's like, "I told you, Ben, I'm busy." And he's just like counting this money. <laughs> so they they're like, "Okay, whatever, let's go," you know, and stuff. And they, you know, they turn Goodwill Hunting Two into this like action movie and everything, which is hilarious. Um, which, which another callback to earlier, the blonde guy—I don't know his name—the mm-hmm. one who's like, "Oh, you did a good job. You did good, Will Hunting." Yeah, too. He's also in Oz. Oh yeah, that's right, and he—that's the original actor from Goodwill Hunting as well. Yeah, I heard. I've never seen Goodwill Hunting, but yeah, I've heard that, and that's kind of like a funny like joke. But uh, yeah, that is true. A lot of good people were in Oz. But they uh, they eventually they end up um, finding uh, Jason Biggs and James Vanderbeek. Yeah, I forgot. At, who are going to play uh, Blunt Man and Chronic? And you know they they reference that uh, Jason Biggs is the pie fucker from uh, American Pie because this was only a couple years after American Pie had come out and it was you know hugely popular and everything and. Um, so uh the director is played by um so they 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 kind of they uh incapacitate them and um then uh they take their place as blunt man and chronic and uh the director of the film i think his name is Chaka Luther King or something like that was played something, yeah. played by Chris Rock um and Mark Hamill uh, you know, Luke Skywalker himself cameos as Cockknocker, the uh, the villain of Blunt Man and Chronic, who's got this. Why do they, why do they call him that? He's got a, like a giant, like steel fist or whatever, and he uses it to punch people in the cock. 
And there's a, I mean, again, there's another reference to obviously Mark Hamill's a Star Wars reference. Mm-hmm. It, uh, and it's it's actually a Batman reference too because he was amazing. And we've mentioned this before: Batman the animated series, which is another uh, Kevin Smith, you know, obsession. And Chris Rock was, of course, uh, the he played Rufus in uh, Dogma, mm-hmm. so he kind of like just kind of sprinkles in these actors from his previous movies. Yep. Um. So uh, they well, and I think I think a- is it Banky or Brody's on set when he goes there? I think it's Banky is yeah. Yeah, 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 that's right, Binky. Yeah, earlier in the movie, they go to Brody's comic book store. Uh, at the end of uh, at the end of Ch- or at the end of uh, Mallrats, Mallrats, they do this whole montage thing, and they show that that Brody's taken over uh, hosting duties on the Tonight Show, and uh, so when they go better than Jimmy Fallon, yeah, no kidding. So when they go to his comic book uh, store. Um, if you notice, on the very back wall, there's a variety uh, ma- uh, newspaper, this, the Hollywood newspaper, for those of you that, that don't know, with all the Hollywood news. But on the very back wall, you can see the picture of him from Mallrats, you know, dressed up as the host of The Tonight Show. And underneath it, it says Brody Bolts. Yeah, that's the best. <laughs> so it's like, so it's like they they fix that continuity problem of yeah, he was the host of the Tonight Show in this universe, but he uh, left to open his own comic book store. I think they actually mentioned at, that at the end of Mallrats that he briefly hosted the Tonight Show, but then like went to open a comic shop. Yeah, so um... <laughs> he just became he was like at a, a local game show. They're like, <laughs> okay, you're on the Tonight Show now. Yeah, he's like, fuck this. But uh, yeah, so they they because they go to him to uh, to try to figure out what they should do, uh, you know, and he's the one that um, says, you know, well, you can just stop it because it's based on your you know likeness rights. So, uh, you know, or and he's like, you know, you can get a bunch of money for this. So anyway, um, so yeah, Banky's the one that's on um, the set, and uh, you know, the cops show up at the uh, at the. Um, the set and everything. Marshall, uh, Marshall Will and Holly's there about the uh, about Suzanne, and you know actual like police are there uh, for the jewelry stuff and everything, and they all kind of like converge at once, and you know there's a big like firefight and everything, and they're all kind of hiding out, and you know they're talking to Banky uh, about this and everything, and um, and Banky's like you know hey you know I'll give you uh, half of uh, you know the royalty check that I got from this. You know, and so they just, they just kind of, and at that point, they're just kind of like, oh, okay, well, you know, we didn't want our reputations <laughs> destroyed, but for money, I guess we'll do it. I can't remember who it was, but doesn't Will and Holly like just shoot someone right in the head? Was uh, it movie? I think, uh, sh- I think he shoots, um, I think it's, yeah, it might be Willem. I think it's in the shoulder, though. Like, I don't think he actually kills him. I think, okay. I think he just, I like, shoots it him. It was up. either movie or, like, a very sly reference to the movie Death the Smoochie. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think, you're, I think you're right. Terrible. I think it was movie. I think it was whoever was playing movie. I think you're right. The golden cow. <laughs> but then Justice shows up. She's been feeling guilty and all this stuff. And she ends up turning herself in. Um for uh you know the crime and everything and so jay and silent bob are off the hook um they uh they've got their their royalty check uh and everything and they uh they go to they track down everyone that said stuff 
that was bad about yeah, them on the internet. <laughs> this is how the movie ends. And it, it's all like 14-year-old kids and stuff yeah. like that. But yeah, that's they, the best part. They mercilessly all- beat the shit out of them. And they use all their like hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars just to travel across country beating the shit out of children. Yeah, who said bad things about them on the internet. And that is, uh, I mean, that's, it's a, definitely, it's a, densely packed movie it is hilarious and like i said if you if you take the time or if you're someone like mike and i that have that has already done this to listen to all the commentary tracks and and stuff like that it is it's one of the most immersive comedy experiences that i've ever uh been a part of and it was i i would as far as this is like like I said, like we said, this is probably not objectively his best movie or anything like that as far as filmmaking goes. But I think this is kind of like his tour de force. This is like his his thesis statement of all yeah, his, of all his movies. His love, his love letter to everybody who's you know put up not put up with, but who's followed him throughout the years. Yeah, I think that's... And I could be wrong, but doesn't doesn't this even end with Alanis Morissette closing the book on View Askew? Oh yeah, I think it does. Which, of course, Alanis Morissette played God and uh, Dogma, which I, I don't think I could ever talk about Dogma enough. That's a fucking amazing movie. Yeah. And yeah so I think at this point, the, the whole idea was to uh, like, move on to other movies, which he kind of did and did not do with varying degrees of success. Yeah, for sure. You're absolutely right. This like He, he hadn't intended this. I know, I know he said this before. He intended this to be his last... Uh, Jay and Silent Bob movie, his last like view a universe movie. He wanted to do other movies, but he didn't want to be beholden to the Jay and Silent Bob and like the shared universe thing, which is weird because um, I mean it's not weird. It's it's normal to want to you know move on like that artistically, but it's funny to think that basically Kevin Smith did a shared universe kind of thing before um you know Marvel did before any of the other the other things like he was the first one that had this shared movie universe so, uh yeah i think i mean you know clerks too i think i think we've kind of said everything it's a movie I need to say about it yep that's a, that's the best i can say it's a movie um the last what's after that yeah the last one that we'll talk about today and then we'll have uh four to talk about next week but probably at least two of them will be real quick um the uh last one that we have to talk about today is zach and miri make a porno 2008 another um departure like jersey girl from the uh viewers universe so this is the uh the seth rogan and elizabeth banks movie and um for those of you who haven't seen it and judging by the box office results there's a lot of you it's uh it's <laughs> it's basically um they live in uh Pennsylvania uh interestingly one of the few that kind of don't take don't have New Jersey as a uh, a primary uh thing but they uh, they live in Pennsylvania they're big Pittsburgh Penguins fans like you said Mike last week uh lots of hockey references um and you know the, the penguins are a big one in this one um but anyway, so uh, they, uh, I think, I'm trying to remember, they um, they uh, they need money, right? Yeah. They make a porno. <laughs> I know, they make a porno. Oh, they're, they're electric pillows, sour, they're, That's Zach right. and Mary are lifelong friends, yep. obviously played by Elizabeth Banks and uh, Seth. 
Mm-hmm. And their bills are they basically both work in like a Starbucks kind of ripoff, like minimum wage, like coffee shop type thing. Yep. And so they're like completely poor and they have no money and you know they're about to have their, you know, rent checked due and their electricity cut off and everything cut. I don't remember how they come to this realization, but they're like, Oh hey, let's make a porno movie in the coffee shop and that'll I- pay all our I think they she goes to a reunion, if I remember, or they both. Oh yeah, that's right. Reunion. And I have yeah. to say, this is a fucking hilarious performance by um, shit. It's um, is it? It's not Jason. It's not Jason Schwartzman, or uh, is it? Oh um, the uh, the gay guy. Yeah. Um, oh, what's his name? It's uh, is it one of the guys who played Super Brandon Roth? Brandon Roth. Yeah, I Rouse? Know. Brandon Routh. Yeah, that's right. And Justin Long, that's who it is. Yeah, Justin Long and, and Brandon Routh. Yeah. Yeah, Super Superman's Brandon Routh. That's right. Yeah, um Mary, I think it's Mary wants to fuck uh Brandon Routh, but it turns out hey, he's in a dudes and him he's with uh Justin Long. And Justin Long is fucking funny as shit in this role. Yeah, for sure. So she's like, "Oh, okay, our whole, you know, big build up to the fa- the Baseball reunion doesn't make sense because he's not into. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it turns out that he's gay and a porn star. Big time. And uh, so yeah, they um, they kind of they get expired or they get inspired um, because uh, uh, I think they see they see um, there's the, someone makes a viral video of uh, of her I think right. Yeah, I think that's right. I don't remember what it is. In granny panties. Yeah, granny. That's that's right. The video is granny panties. Right, and so they decide that they're going to make uh, a Star Wars parody pornography movie. Which again is like perfectly classic Kevin Smith. He mm-hmm. wants to escape the viewers universe, but there's still these like things he's obsessed with his whole life that he keeps coming back to. And of course, Star Wars is one of the big. Oh yeah. And well, you know, like you can't you can't keep yourself out of the creative process for sure. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm not sure how you feel about the, this movie, but mm-hmm. I actually really like the movie. I've seen it edited and unedited, mm-hmm. and it's it's. I think it's funny. It's not the best movie I've ever seen in my whole life, but it's it's a movie I enjoy watching when it's on. I'll watch it again. This is how I look at this movie. Um, there are so many uninspired, terrible Melissa McCarthy comedy movies. <laughs> not to not to single her out, and I think I like I don't hate Melissa McCarthy or anything like that. But a lot of the movies she's in are bad. But think of a movie like that. There are so many just uninspired. I can write the plot of this movie. I can tell you what the next joke that's going to be come up is. There's so many of those around. There are not enough comedies. Yeah, when that like joke's this. selling a cab. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, there's not enough movies like this. There are not enough comedies like this. It's you know, it's not tied to anything uh, like uh, his other movies. It's uh, you know, it doesn't have a lot of inside jokes or anything like that. You, you probably you know need a passing knowledge of Star Wars to get a couple of the jokes. But other than that, it's just a solid, broad comedy. It's, I think it's, uh, I mean, you know, it's a little more subversive because there's the porn elements to it and stuff like that. 
But, um, you know, if I was to compare it to Orgasmo, say, um, you know, a movie both of us have seen from the creators of uh, South Park, a movie we should talk about at some point, uh, too. I love Orgasmo. That's a great movie. <laughs> yeah. Now, if you compare it to that, it's it's sort of comparable to that. It's not as funny as Orgasmo, and it's not as clever as Orgasmo is, but... It is because it's more this one and this one's more mainstream than Orgasmo would be, but it's a funny, somewhat subversive mainstream comedy. I would compare yeah. it. I would compare it to like The Hangover or uh, a movie like that. I, I I think there are a lot of good jokes. Uh, yeah, in the movie, I think it's uh, I think it's a really solid uh, film, and I I definitely you know if we were doing a Siskel and Ebert thing, I would give it a a thumbs up or a you know three and a half stars or. Yeah, I'd give it like a thumb, like going like horizontal, yeah. and then like slightly up. Yeah, it's not a bad movie. I like I said, I watch it whenever it's on. Yep. Seth Rogen was probably at like one of the the height of like you know his like career, mm-hmm. or not that his career is over, but I mean he was really popular at the time. Yeah, as far as his, as far as like his comedic acting career goes, I know he does a lot with Preacher now and and some of the other like stuff that he's created and everything. But yeah, as far as his acting career, for sure, he's pretty. He's pretty close to the peak. Yeah, Elizabeth Banks is really good in it. Uh, Jason Mewes is also in it. Mm-hmm, yes. He's good. I mean, he's not like, his usual over-the-top type of character. Is he a sound man? I don't remember. Yeah, I believe that's that, that, that it. And, and, and that is a good thing. Yeah, he, he's good in this. It. Yeah. He's, the, the, um, the role isn't, um, you know, Jay of, like, Jay and Silent Bob. And he plays it, you know, there's a different... Like, you can tell he's not just one note. Um, you know, he uh, it's a, a more subtle, a more subdued performance. And uh, I think he's an overlooked... Um, you know, kind of like gem of this movie. He's uh, his he's really solid. Good. Yeah, I, I agree. Very solid performance in this movie. I mean, I mean, it's a, it's not a bad movie. I'd rather watch this than any other like rom com type movie. Yeah, exactly. It, it, it's well directed. It's not his best directorial work, which I would say is Red State of mm-hmm. all his movies ever. I think Red State is his best directory. Yeah, and I'm going to rewatch that before we talk about that next week because uh, last time I saw it was probably like a couple of years ago. But uh, yeah, I haven't seen it in a while. But Red Seed is a really good movie. But yeah, um, so you know, like uh, it's one of those that you know, if it's on Netflix or if it's on TV or whatever, uh, and it comes on and you haven't seen Zach and Mary make a porno, um, you know, I, I would absolutely recommend uh, watching it. I think it's a it's a solid funny movie. Yeah, there's some really like emotional scenes too, like when mm-hmm. Zach and Mary first like you know have intercourse. Yep. Like there's like some really great acting on both parts of Seth Rogen and uh, Elizabeth Banks. Yeah, and that's not an easy thing to like the um you know and I knew going into this that Elizabeth Banks was a pretty good actress, um you know, but I didn't realize kind of like the range that Seth Rogen could go to either. And like you said, they both do an amazing job in some yeah, the, difficult there's situations. There's a real chemistry. Be- there's a real chemistry between the two of them. Absolutely. Yep. I, agree. I think. Tr- if I'm not mistaken, Tracy Lords is in this too. She is, yep. Yeah, she's she's good too. I mean, she was in. Uh, Ro- I don't know if you ever watched her on Roseanne. Yes, yeah, uh, yeah, I've seen her on Roseanne. Yep. Yeah, she's funny in that. She's uh, in the movie in the show Profiler, which she's oh, got yeah. that too. I haven't seen that one. Yeah, I didn't see a lot of her movies. Uh, obviously, not the early. <laughs> <before>. <laughs> 
But she's good in this too. I mean, everyone in this movie is good. It's right. not a bad movie. It's not a great movie, but it's a solid movie. Yep, for sure. Definitely. And like I said earlier, Justin Long is really funny in that. Yeah, Justin Long is maybe the standout as far as the comedic side of this uh, of this movie is. He's hilarious in this movie. But yeah, so uh, that is uh, the show for today. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, if you're looking for us online, as uh, as always, you can find us uh, on Twitter at Massive Late Fee, on Facebook, Massive Late Fee. You can email the show, uh, Massive Late Fee at gmail.com. Uh, you can visit our Patreon. Uh, I'll link all this below. I think it's uh, Patreon. Slat or dot massive late fee dot com, um, and then uh, our audio commentaries on Bandcamp over uh, you know at uh, massive late fee dot Bandcamp dot com or whatever it is. But I'll uh, I'll link all that uh, below. And if you want to check out our audio commentaries, you want to check out uh, you want to support the show uh, from Patreon, or um, you know the other thing too is tell tell a friend tell a friend about uh, about the show that helps out you know as much as as anything. Yeah, does. for sure. Yes, spread um, the word. We appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. I want to thank uh, you know Jason for our uh, our theme. I want to thank uh, Miranda and uh, Leah for our uh, uh, for our patreons. Um, and uh, yeah, that's about it for tonight. Uh, you got anything to say, Mike? Uh no. Just as usual, a shout out to my friends Phil, the tattoo artist, mm-hmm. um, Rob Towell for supporting uh, Savage Worlds from the beginning. That's yep. about it. Happy birthday to my wife. Yep. Happy birthday to, uh, do you want me to say her name or no? I don't think she cares. All right. Happy birthday, Alex. You uh, son of a bitch. <laughs> you oh, broke and, the uh, rules. Fuck Scandinavia. Yep. Uh, fuck Sweden. Fuck Denmark. Fuck Finland. You, uh, Randy Savage and uh, your brother, Leaping Lenny Poffer. <laughs> who uh, might be alive. I don't know. Yeah. Who knows? And uh, Bjork in Iceland, we see you, we hate you. Fuck you. (laughs) All right, everybody, have a good night. Bye. Okay, so, yeah, let's get into yoga hosers because I don't even, I I mean, I'll see Tusk eventually. And, hey, if I I end up seeing it and saying, oh, you know what, this is... uh, this is actually a really great movie. Then uh, I will let you know on this here podcast. And you'll be the only person in existence to say that as well from the reviews I've read. <laughs> but I'll tell you, uh, I did watch Yoga Hosers. Um, this is another one made for uh, $5 million. And its box office was $38,784. So I'm guessing this is another one that must have been uh, released simply uh, for like one week or whatever. I'm guessing. I don't know. Uh, I can't imagine it was in in you know the theaters for months and only received that much money. But it wasn't on my screen more than ten minutes, so I can't imagine it was in theaters very long. Uh, okay, I'm going to I'm going to invoke the compliment sandwich. Uh, where I say something nice, then I completely say like the worst thing that you could ever possibly say about anything, and then I give a compliment at the end. That's how I'm going to handle this review of Yoga Hosers. Here is my compliment, and I'm going to try to think uh, while I'm 
ripping the movie apart if I can think of any other compliments. Um, Harley Quinn Smith and Lily Rose and uh, Lily Rose Depp, uh, which is Johnny Depp's daughter and Kevin Smith's daughter, are outstanding in this movie. They are great. They have I, I assume I assume they're friends in real life. Um, they have amazing chemistry with each other. Yeah, they are friends in real life. I know that much. They have uh, they have great comedic timing. They're both very good actresses. Um, I, I would love to see them in a really good and well written film. This is not that, but they are they're fantastic. I, I love both of them uh, as the characters they play in this movie. Yeah, I, see, this is this is how bad this movie is. I also thought they were charismatic. Their chemistry is amazing. You know, they're you want to see what happens to them, and then the movie starts, and you're like, okay, I don't care what happens to them. Yep, exactly. Uh, so they play Colleen and Colleen. They're both they're two different Colleens: Colleen Colette and Colleen McKenzie. Uh, they live in a Canada, I believe it's Quebec, but I'm not exactly sure or no manitoba that's where it is manitoba they live in manitoba in uh canada which uh uh, tusk also takes place in canada these movies are very uh closely related Uh, in fact they show up at some point in tusk as well the uh the colettes i think they they're part of the, the reason that justin long ends up spoilers getting somewhat saved um but anyway, so they are uh, two uh, 15-year-olds that work as clerks at a uh, A to Z convenience store um, in Canada, and uh, they're in a band where they uh, they sing. There are two extended um, singing montages in uh, the in the movie. Uh, the movie starts with a very long. Uh, it's basically an entire song. It's like, it's like a music video. And then it, it also ends over the credits. The one, the O Canada one over the credits, I didn't mind as much. Um, at the beginning, I'm like, okay, I, I get it, Kevin. Your daughter is talented. She can sing. But I want to see a movie, not a music video. That's kind right. of That's kind of what I was thinking the whole time. I'm like, start the movie now. You know, like I, I get it. I don't need I don't need a three minute long um, song to begin the film. But um, but anyway, so they are into yoga. Justin Long plays their uh, their yogi or their guru or whatever, um, and his name is Yogi Bearer, <laughs> like B A Y E R, um, and he has a, a delightful little subplot, and delightful is as much sarcasm as I can. <laughs> as I, where where he uh, is on the phone with different companies uh, saying that uh, he doesn't understand why he's in violation of copyright for calling himself Yogi Bear. <laughs> so it's like the uh, the McDowell subplot from uh, Coming to America, but not funny. Exactly. exactly. That's the exact right way to put it. But because not you know funny. the uh, Yogi... Yogi Berra IP is like super hot these days. Right. So you see why people would be just, just trying to drag him down. Anyway, so um, they, uh, everyone calls, this is the other thing that pisses me off about this movie. Every single person 
calls them yoga hosers at some point. I get it. Hosers is a funny word. It's a funny thing Canadians say. Uh, Stan Lee makes a cameo in this as a nine uh. as a nine one one operator. Okay. He he's talking to them. He thinks they're crazy. Basically, hangs up on them, and he says, "Yoga hosers." How the fuck does he know that they're into yoga? <laughs> there's no, there's no way. There's so many people that would have no idea that they like yoga, and they call them yoga hosers. That's not a common phrase. Is that your biggest pet peeve with the movie? <laughs> no, but it's one of the many. So. Anyway, this is a large sandwich, apparently. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this is a huge shit compliment sandwich. They uh, they go, uh, they're in school, and they learn about uh, how during World War II, the Nazi Party had an influence in uh, the area where they live uh, by the self-proclaimed Canadian Fuhrer, uh, whose name was uh, Adrian Arcand, who's played by um, uh, Haley Joe Osment. Oh, I, I don't mind Hilly Jaws, but I like him in things. He was in Silicon Valley. I don't know if you watched that. No, that's another one I need to catch up on. That's really He's really funny in that, but I'm sorry. No, that's okay. I like the interruptions. But um, anyway, so so uh, they, they learn about all this and everything, and they learn how um, he had a, a guy that, uh, a Nazi, that, um, you know, liked the things that he was preaching and kind of helped him... Um, get uh like helped him get uh like started and everything who's played by um uh man i just said his name too and i can't think of his name the one on the smodcast um, oh uh, ralph garman yeah ralph garman um plays uh plays the uh the guy so anyway um the uh they um there's a couple murders that happen early on right and um you see just people like walking, like this guy, oh, um, have you ever seen Epic Mealtime on YouTube? No, I am aware of it, but I haven't seen it. Well, the guy, uh, uh, Harley, I believe his name is, the guy that uh, that stars in it with a giant beard, he's in the movie for a little bit, too. And um, The only movie with two people named Harley in it, here's something. <laughs> yeah, but he gets killed, um, and we don't exactly see what happens um or like how exactly he gets killed right yeah harley mortensen that's that's his name but anyway so um turns out i'm gonna get to this real quick because i I don't want to go through the whole plot of this fucking terrible movie (laughs) but uh it turns out that the nazi guy that helped um haley joel osmond's character because they were going to take over canada and everything right Turns out that uh, during World War II, he was like a Nazi scientist, basically, right? So he was going to create an army of clones to take over Canada. So he cloned himself, ostensibly. Um, but he used bratwurst. For <laughs> bratwurst and sauerkraut casings as the body. Almost like Frankenstein-like, okay? Right. He puts them in and mixed with his DNA. He puts them in this incubation thing and then he gets in a refrigerator, which is like a cryogenic freezing thing. <clears throat> and he's supposed to sleep for, I think it's a hundred years. So a hundred years, they come out, they're clones, they take over Canada, hooray the Nazi party. Uh, while 
the Colleen. Can, can we isolate that clip of you saying "Hooray the Nazi Party"? <laughs> I might need that later. Yes. Oh my god! Yes, someone's going to uh, someone's going to use it against me at some point. We should title this episode "Hooray the Nazi Party." Oh god! But anyway, so the Colleen's. This this thing happens to be below. This bunker happens to be below the convenience store where they work. The A to Z. So uh, when they were playing one time, they, they shorted out the power and um, and uh, that shorted out uh, the power to both the incubator and his cryogenic freezing, which made him wake up. Die? No, made him, oh. wake, made him wake up early. <laughs> and it made his army wake up early, too. Now, here's some more problems I have with this. First of all, this was supposedly uh, built in the mid-40s, Okay. The A to Z was it there? Because if it wasn't there, how did he? How how are those power things connected? One, <laughs> two. <laughs> he says that they're supposed to. These clones are supposed to grow to to regular human size. Go look at the movie. Look at the incubator. It's only it only would allow them to grow to the tiny little bratwurst men size that they actually become in the movie. Because that's what happens. They're tiny little Nazi bratwurst guys that are killing people by going up their butt and then out through their nose or out through their mouth. That's this is like dream ca- dream catcher, but not as clever. Exactly. Exactly. And that's a terrible movie, by the way. So that's a, so that's saying a lot. But uh, but yeah, they're supposed to grow to human size. But if they actually grew to human size, they would destroy the entire thing because there's supposed to be hundreds of these guys. Also, <laughs> so they they uh, um. So what happens is we we find out that they're like running around and everything. These these Nazi bratwurst people, um, that all have the face of Kevin Smith. Wow. Yeah. So um, the Colleen's uh, invite a couple of guys over to the convenience store because they have to work because uh, their uh, parents who own the convenience store are going out of town. And they were going to go to a party with these two guys that they have crushed. You know, I'm sorry. I just realized something. The name McKenzie, that's probably a direct you know reference to the characters from Strange Brew, is it? Isn't it? Yeah, I think so. You know, hosers, uh, Doug, and uh, uh, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. You're right. No, you're right. Strange Brews Brew is a very good movie, by the way. But uh, anyway, so um, yeah, I think that's probably Doug McKenzie. Yeah, and uh, I can't remember the other guy's name off the top of my head for some reason. But um, anyway, so uh, so they invite these guys over because they can't go to the party now, but they've got a crush on them. They decide to come over. Turns out that these guys are Satan worshippers that want to kill the Colleen's and sacrifice them. And they act like they've done this before, but no one has said anything about it in this small town that they live in, (laughs) that that, that any girls are missing or anything like that. And and so they want to sacrifice them because they want to, like, you know, they want to get in with Satan and stuff like that, right? There is absolutely no reason for this subplot in any way because we already have um we already have a threat okay so what happens is they come over they act like they're gonna kill them and everything you know they at first they act like you know they want to have sex with them or make out or whatever they want to do right 
Then they act like they're going to kill them. Oh, and they have to be virgins. And that's why, because they're seniors and uh, the Colleen's are sophomores. So, you know, they say, oh, we have to pick you because there are no virgins in the senior class, which I don't believe, by the way, that there are no 18-year-old virgins in this town at all. I don't know, it gets cold up there in Canada. Yeah, that's true. But anyway, um, so, you know, they act like they're going to kill them. The bratwurst men come and kill the guys. So one threat eliminates another threat. You didn't have to do this at all. It's so <laughs> painful. It's so, like, it was so drawn out and so stupid and wasted so much time. You could have just had them be normal horny guys, and then the Bratwurst guys kill them. So the Colleen's, they get together, they use their yoga moves um, to kill, all like, all the Bratwurst guys they see. The police come, and they arrest them from the murder of the two guys, because obviously they don't believe that Nazi Bratwurst men are walking around Cause who would? Cause it's stupid, and it's a stupid premise for a movie. You know, some of the uh, top MMA fighters use yoga as their primary discipline. <laughs> yeah, I can believe it based on the moves in this movie. Also, I've got another compliment, uh, but I'll do it after. I thought of something. Okay, so, <laughs> so anyway, turns out they, they you know, they, they, uh, the. Uh, Johnny Depp's stupid character comes and finds them again. Um, you know, he says he believes them basically for whatever fucking reason. He ends up um, uh, like breaking them out of jail. Um, because, oh, this is the other thing that pisses me off too. And this is a little thing. But the little things really add up in this movie. He says, he comes in and sees them and says, oh, her like the mom's aware and everything. They know that, um, that you're in jail here, but they can't bail you out because the cops don't allow serial killers to get bailed out. And, you know, you're responsible for the murder of those two guys. You have to kill three people to be a serial <laughs> killer. Okay. First of all, there are two girls and two guys. So we could even even if we only assume that one of them was was the murderer and they didn't each kill one person, the the legal standard is three people in three separate events to be a serial killer. So they absolutely could have Maybe they're factoring Kevin Smith's filmmaking career as another victim of this movie. <laughs> God. Anyway, so he breaks them out, or like, you know, sneaks them out of jail, basically, and, um, and takes them to the, uh, to the sheets that they, they take him to the A to Z because they say that there's a secret passage that leads to an underground bunker at the A to Z, um, and that her dad told her about it when uh, he first bought the place, right? We learn when they get there. And her dad is in the Illuminati. <laughs> right. We learn when they get there that she made all that up. That what? that she lied about it <laughs> just so that the, that he would let them out and, and she's not sure what they're going to do and everything. Which, one, is a stupid plan. Two, they those guys had knives. Just say... They tried to kill us, and we defended ourselves. <laughs> With yoga. Three, how could we have killed them in the manner in which they were killed because their insides were all ripped up from something crawling in them? What did we do that with? You know, they're <laughs> going to be in way more trouble having broken out of prison, but 
But five, the fifth point about this stupid plot thing in the movie is that there actually is a hidden bunker. She <laughs> made it up, but it happens to also be true. When you're right, you're right. So, so they end up accidentally finding it in the bathroom uh, when they when uh, something it's I, I can't remember what what gets pushed in the toilet something that should way way should have been found out long before this. Anyway, um, they they find the underground thing where um, uh, where the Nazi guy that's left, Ralph Garman. Um, uh, explains to them their entire his entire plan <laughs> and stuff, and uh, and does a bunch of different impressions. Ralph Garman is a uh, a fairly talented impressionist and everything. I'm sure he's a very funny guy. I don't I don't uh, I don't really listen to the Smodcast. Um, so he, I- he's really good on it, and they Hollywood Babylon as well. Another Kevin Smith was born to be a podcaster before it was invented, essentially, is what you learn from listening to those podcasts. Yeah, and and I'll probably listen to them at some point. But in this movie, he's basically just... I mean, it's it's not a great performance. It's just him doing a bunch of different impersonations and being really, like, shticky and and hacky and stuff like that. And uh, he explains that, like, once he was unthawed at night... He would come out and uh, watch uh, like Netflix and TV and stuff like that in the um, in the ups, ups you know the uh, the actual A to Z place while everyone was gone and that's where he learned how to speak English and learned all his things and that's why he does all these impersonations. It's a really long labored way to allow Ralph Garman to do a bunch of impersonations, which he's good at. Um, but he says that he wanted to be a uh, an artist. He wanted to be a painter and a sculptor. And all the critics were really hard on him. So he doesn't want to be a Nazi anymore. And he doesn't want to take over the world anymore. He's uh, preparing this army to kill all the critics. First of all, you're doing a really fucking bad job because it kill, <laughs> killed some guy at the that was at the A to Z for absolutely no reason. Tried to kill these two girls. I mean, killed the Satanists, I guess. Good job there. But they're just killing a bunch of people that aren't critics in any way. But this is obviously a very thinly veiled shot at critics that don't like Kevin Smith's movies from Kevin Smith because the critics are just the worst people in the world when they point out that you've made something that's not very good worse than nazis so uh it ends up that uh you know the uh the bratwurst people actually end up turning on uh ralph garman he gets killed by them and then they kill the bratwurst people and then they sing oh canada at the end and then it's over and here's the other compliment for my compliment sandwich uh, uh, Lily uh, Rose Depp and Harley Quinn Smith uh, both do the action scenes pretty well. They uh, they're it's either it's either well choreographed or you know they're they're athletic with it or whatever. Uh, that's the other compliment. This movie is absolute dog shit. I hate saying that about a Kevin Smith movie because if you've listened to the other three parts, you understand how much we love Kevin Smith. Kevin, if you're listening, I'm sorry, but I have to say it everyone's got a miss every everyone uh you know you can't you can't be good every time this movie is terrible <laughs> one of the worst things i've ever seen 
I wonder if he wrote and directed and um, produced these movies while he was under the influence. Because this and Tusk both sound like a really long, winding, like, you know, stoner type conversation. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how to explain it. The movie's not funny. It's dumb and labored and terrible. I I don't get it. Um, You know, maybe he was in a bad place in his life. I don't know. I have high hopes. <laughs> I have high hopes for the Jay and Silent Bob reboot movie because I think the premise sounds really funny. Um, and, you know, I know Kevin Smith can do a lot better than this. Um, I know it sucks when people trash something that you've you've done. I've written some books. Don't even go look for them, people listening, because, you know, uh, I mean, they're fine. But... <laughs> If you want to read one, whatever. But I'm not here to push books. But I've had uh, some, I've had some bad reviews of uh, of my books, so I know I kind of know what it's like, um, you know. And I've written some bad books in my life, uh, so I know what it's like to to kind of you know not do something as well as you're used to doing it, and you know how bad it feels. So I'm sorry, Kevin, but it's oh god, it's so bad. Oh yeah, that uh, looked dumb. I'm not gonna see that. <laughs> That's like your um, motto of the show. <laughs> that looks dumb. I'm not gonna see it. Yeah, and I never regret not seeing any of these movies either. Oh, um, do you? Are you a fan? I don't even know. Are you a fan of the James Bond movies at all? Not a lot. I mean, there's maybe like three or four good ones that I've seen. Um, I like the uh, Casino Royale with Daniel Craig. That was okay. Mm-hmm. Goldeneye was pretty good. Tomorrow Never Dies was all right. Actually, I like Tomorrow Never Dies. Then every other one I've seen hasn't been that good. Though I did see like Goldfinger. I thought that was pretty okay. They um, they're doing. Uh, I think it's just going to be called Bond Twenty Five. Um, it's the twenty fifth film that they that they're making, but uh, it'll be Daniel Craig's last. Um, last role or last turn as as James Bond. He's done he's been James Bond longer than anyone in uh, the history which is kind of crazy. He, he doesn't he hasn't done like, as many movies but as far as years go. Yeah, that's what I figured because I, I don't think he's been in a ton of them and it seems like they just take like forever to put one out now. Yeah, I think this will be his fourth, I believe. Casino Royale, I, Skyfall, um that Quantum Spectra. of Solace. Oh, yeah, it might be his fifth. Yeah, Spectre, uh, Quantum of Solace, and in, uh, in this one. Oh well, yeah, Spectre. But um, he, uh, pair, our our old friend Carrie uh, uh, Fukunura is um, directing this movie, and uh, people were talking about. Uh, I guess there were some rumors going around saying that uh, because this is supposed to begin filming very soon, it's supposed to come out, I believe, next year, and. Um, there were some rumors going around and he, uh, that, um, you know, certain people weren't going to show up, uh, you know, other, um, other characters, uh, from, from the previous movies, because this is supposed to kind of wrap up the story arc. They started with Casino Royale and Carrie Fukunora, um, or whatever, Fukunanga, he, um, he said, uh, I don't know where all these rumors are coming from. The script's not even done yet. So they haven't even finished the script. <laughs> I I don't know this. I'm 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 not. A, I don't really get into the Bond movies. Um, I've seen a few. Yeah, of them. I, I think they're archaic in the sense that you know it's like some like 
murderous, like, kind of sociopath going around, you know, uh, sleeping with women and killing people. Right. And I much prefer that to be an American than a, a British guy. <laughs> like Jason Bourne. Yeah, exactly. We invented the concept of uh, womanizing and uh, remorselessly killing people. Yeah, I don't know about that, but uh, I think we do it best, USA. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm worried about... Uh, you know, that it seems like they're really going to rush this in production. Danny Boyle was supposed to direct originally, and I guess he dropped out because he had a um, creative difference with Daniel Craig over who he wanted to be the main villain in the movie. And so, da- so da- Danny Boyle thought it should be good, and Daniel Craig differed. <laughs> That's probably it. Daniel Craig that- looks like a uh, looks like a potato in a suit. He looks like James Ron's point. <laughs> you know that they have different uh, size suits for him. They uh, they have this one suit that he that he'll wear in the movies that is so tight that he can't even move at all in it. So if you see him just kind of like posing by a baccarat table or something <laughs> like that, he's in that suit. And then and then if he has to do like. Uh, any kind of walking, he's in a suit that's slightly, uh, slightly fitted better. And then if he's got to do fighting, he's in like a, a suit that actually fits him. It's dumb. But that is Yoga Hosers. Don't watch it before we go tonight. Um, I know you know we've we've been running for a while. I don't want this to be a hugely long episode. But before we go tonight, I would be remiss if we didn't talk for at least an hour. <laughs> We could talk for a long time about Clerks the Animated Series, and I guess that's probably going to be the best way to uh, to end this, because um, moving away from the horror that is Yoga Hosers, Clerks the Animated Series might be one of my favorite shows that has ever existed. Yeah, this, I think I actually found it on Netflix. I could be wrong. Like It was on TV very briefly. I don't even know if the whole season was... It was definitely not um, broadcast in order, but I don't know if the whole season was broadcast. You introduced me to it. Yeah, and this... this The whole series is a gem. Every part of it, I could... I, I wish that had gone on as long as The uh, Simpsons. Absolutely. Well, maybe not that long. Right. But yeah, if you, like a five, se- five seasons of Clerks Animated Series would have been wonderful. It's so. I mean, I don't even know where to start. There, it's it's eminently quotable. There, uh, it is hilarious. Um, putting these guys in a cartoon setting um, and having them go through like cartoon type things. It's just it's it's the perfect marriage. The 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 you know because basically for anyone that hasn't seen it, it stars Dante and Randall, or it stars Don, Dante and Handel. <laughs> <laughs> I said it's, is, is it said, Handel? I don't remember. No, that. no, it stars Dante and Handel, and he goes, "No, it's that one part where Leonardo comes, and he's like, he goes for too look for too long. Uh, you know, this community has been plagued by rude and poorly trained clerks." And Dante and Dante says to Randall, "Do you think he's talking about us?" And he goes, "Nah." And he goes, "Nah." And Leonardo goes with names like Dante and Handel, and Randall goes, "Randall." <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, I, I I haven't seen this in a while, and that's really uh, that's really bad on my part because I, I oh. should watch this again. It's a hilarious, hilarious. Series. It's so There's good. I think inside he... jokes layered on top of inside jokes. Yep. Um, 
There's meta references to the series itself. Like at certain points, they say, "Oh, we need to make more Star Wars references because obviously Kevin Smith is well known for that." Um, There's a lot of amazing uh, like voice voice work on there too. Um, You have Alec Baldwin as Leonardo. Leonardo, and he's great. He's he's basically the villain. Like he's a a businessman that uh, that comes to the town of Leonardo. New Jersey, and his name also happens. His name is Leonardo. Leonardo, the town was named after his ancestors. And he has his sidekick is a uh, an android. Isn't he voiced by Stephen Colbert? No, I, I'm. Let me look up who voices that. Um, but it, he's very um, good too. Yeah, there's uh, great cameos. Um, both uh, Scott Thompson and uh, Mark McKinney. Yep. Yeah, from Kids in the Hall, and I think uh, actually uh, one of my favorite Kids in the Hall is, um, geez, this is bad. Uh, Kevin uh, is also in there. At certain Kevin McDonald. There. Yeah, Kevin McDonald. Yep. I don't think they had. I don't think they had all five of them, unfortunately. But I would love to see Bruce and uh, Dave in there as well. But I just don't think they made. The, they were in there for some reason. Walter White himself cameos uh, in in this uh, series too. Oh, I didn't even realize he was in there. Brian Cranston, yep. the great. Cranston. Yeah, Brian Cranston. There's a there's a uh, episode where there's pilots that are going to uh, come to bomb the town for uh, because there's been an outbreak of infectious disease. Oh yeah, yeah, that's a good one. And he plays one of the pilots. Yeah, the, the, the very first episode is a flashback episode, which is hilarious. But I actually it's the think second it was episode. an accident. Oh, it was a second. Okay, was wasn't that actually not broadcast in order though? Yeah, unfortunately, it wasn't broadcast in order, but. It was a hilarious idea to have the second episode of your series be be a flashback episode. They start naming things, and it's like Dante's like, "Yeah, I remember that. That happened last week." And then, yeah, yeah. and then Randall says something else. He's like, "That was also last week." And then I think they do like the uh, the, the you know the Rochamon type thing where they change like how it happened, mm-hmm. and you know that's sort of, yep. there's a bunch of running gags like that. You see them like what appears to be climbing like a grappling hook, but they're just walking normally and they're like why are we walking <laughs> yeah this makes no sense but it's hilarious yeah there there's so many it's just and every episode ended with um charles barkley uh doing a like uh sort of like a, a the more you know thing or if you grew yeah. up in the 80s with the uh G.I. Joe and stuff at the at the end they'd they'd give some advice for kids and stuff like that. it's like the more you know you know and, and it was like that <laughs> And a couple of them like had James and Bob at the end. The, the funniest was that they perform a magic trick. Mm-hmm. And I think it was actually the cups and balls, wasn't it? I think so, yeah. And then so halfway through the trick, uh, you realize that they're just sacrificing children's souls to Satan to make a ball disappear. Oh, man. But it, yeah, it, it was a great show. It was hilarious. I think you can find it on YouTube. It might be on Netflix too, but I think I'm pretty sure it's free on YouTube. And I'm pretty sure Kevin Smith does not care that it's free on YouTube. Well, good because that's an amazing. Series. There's also I think they did a sequel that I think it was like a movie, the animated series, a movie that like Kevin Smith and um Jay um yeah I don't remember the name right now. Which one, Jay uh, Muse? Jason Muse? Yeah, Jason Muse toured around the country. Yeah, and, um, I don't and, know if you can find that anywhere. I I would love to see that. I haven't seen that yet. I don't know if you can find it either because I don't think that they ever um, that they ever um, released it. I'm not sure. I think it's called Clerk Sell Out. Yeah, I think that's what it is. Or it's not Keep Clerking, is it? 
No, I think I think keep clerking was a joke in the actual show, but I, I, I'm almost ah, positive gotcha. it's called Clerks uh, Sellout. I don't know yeah, if the, they're ever going to release that right. or not, but yeah, I mean, one of the, the my favorite episodes, and it's like infinitely quotable. Is uh, I don't remember the entire premise, but at the end, there's a trial. <laughs> yeah, it's the one where um, it's the one where Jay slips on uh, like some soda or something like that in that uh, Randall spilled in the. Um, in the store and Randall c- convinces him without really trying to sue Dante and the store for $10 million. Yeah, that's right. And, and judge the, Reinhold plays yeah, the judge. Plays the judge. And he, he, he's like, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I get it. It's funny. Like in, inside the show itself, he's like, Oh, judge Reinhold. Eh. Yep. And then that, that, that just the trial right for the announce the uh, verdict, it's just interrupted, just goes completely off the rails. It's mm-hmm. it's just like, and the, the commentary for that is great too. Oh yeah, the yeah the commentary because we had the DVD or I did or you did or both of us did. Yeah, I, I think don't know. I think I did. Yeah, and they talk about how like the Korean animators and like the whole like mm-hmm. uh, sequence is like involves them going to a Korean animation studio and just like. That episode alone is just wow. It's it's a masterpiece. Listen to the these ideas for uh, plots for episodes that they never got to make. Okay, because I think there's only six episodes of this show, if I remember correctly. Um, there's not enough. That's how no, many there are. Yeah, not not nearly. Randall exploits Jay by making snoogans a catchphrase, <laughs> <laughs> leading to Jay becoming a recording artist. <laughs> nice. Randall buys Kit from Knight Rider at a used car lot, <laughs> and then oh, the car wow, becomes envious of Randall's relationship with Dante and attempts <laughs> to kill Dante and impersonate <laughs> him at the store, <laughs> which is a reference to single white female. It is just hilarious things that could not be done outside of animation, and they just took. Two great characters to start with and just took them to the complete limit of where you can go with them. And that's that's the great thing about this being animated because it really freed up Kevin Smith's creativity and just like wacky, crazy stuff that they could do with these characters. And it is hilarious. Yeah, it, it, you know, actually that might be in my top five as well. If you consider it as a whole, the animated series is just like, and again, it's something that you're not really re- rewarded for if you're not already a big fan of Kevin Smith. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you are, it's like it's like gold. Every episode is amazing. Yeah, and I think I think this is one that you can really enjoy, even if you're not like a huge fan of like you don't have to do a lot of deep dives like like Mike and I have done. Um, if you if you even sort of know these characters, it's you know I, I got my wife uh, like I well, I had her watch the first episode of it. Um, cause she was like, oh, you know, this doesn't interest me or whatever. She, she likes Kevin Smith too, but she's like, oh, you know, this, this kind of thing doesn't really interest me that much. But we watched the first episode and she was like, that was really funny. <laughs> and I said, that's not even the best episode, but uh, yeah. Uh, if you have not seen Clerks the Animated Series, find Clerks the Animated Series and watch it and then send in, um, you know, if, if you're listening to this on YouTube, make, uh, you know, make a comment of your, your favorite, uh, line from it, email it to us. I love talking to people about Clerks the Animated Series. It's one of my favorite things. I think I know your favorite line and I believe it's my favorite line as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, would it have to be uh bear is talking? How could this be? <laughs> it's so hard to choose. I, I like that line too. I also like the, uh. The Korean animators thing where he's like, uh, work, work, everybody work. We are slaves. 
And another another thing is, oh, it's just an expression. Yeah. A robot expression. That's right. Oh, God. Yeah, there's so many great quotes from this show. It, it was, it was, it's funnier than The Simpsons is now. Um, I don't, like, it'd be hard to put it up uh, with The Simpsons as prime time. But you know what? What ended up replacing it was Family Guy. And, um, and I like uh, some of Family Guy. Not all of it, but I, I like some of it, and you know Seth MacFarlane is is fine. I like I like some of I like a lot of his work. Um, this is way funnier than Family Guy ever. It was was it the was it the revision of Family Guy that replaced it because there's references to Family Guy in Clerks animated series. I think it was yeah. I think it was like the well they I think at first they aired together, and then Family Guy took over their time slot. I think that's how it worked. Uh, this is going to shock a lot of people, but uh, Kevin Smith uh, does not uh, care for uh, Seth MacFarlane. He had a beef with someone, and at one point, there's like they're talking about like animation. Like, oh, I'm a big stupid animator, and the book he's reading is How to Animate by Seth MacFarlane. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, and even like I mean, one of the commentaries they go into it a little bit too. Um, you know, I just realized I realized this entire episode is a compliment sandwich. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Talk about how you like Kev- uh, Kevin Smith. Just shit on like three or four of his movies. And then, hey, Clerks Animated Series. Yep. Oh, but that is going to do it for us tonight. We have completed the films of Kevin Smith. Next week, I'm not exactly sure what we're going to do yet, but it will be something fun and funny. Uh, so definitely come back for that. Uh, Next week, Dabney Coleman, A Perspective. Oh, God. Yeah, let's look at all the films of Dabney Coleman. Nine to five. Actually, that's not a bad choice. Um, I like uh, we're going to definitely highlight Drexler's class. Oh God! <laughs> yeah, we could do the, we could do a deep dive into Dabney Coleman movies. Anyway, um, you know, uh, yeah, just come back next week and, and we'll figure out what we're going to do. Uh, we'll probably figure it out about a day before we record this. Possibly out of here. But uh, anyway, if uh, if you want to help the show out, uh, you could visit our Patreon. Uh, I think it's Patreon slash MassiveLateFee.com, or you can just look up MassiveLateFee Patreon. I'll also link it below, as I always do. Uh, you know, just, uh, you know, chucking a buck there or uh, whatever... Um, you know, you can afford, we, uh, we would be grateful. Uh, want to thank, uh, Jason for the, uh, theme. We want to thank, uh, Miranda and Leah, our patrons. Um, you can write to us if you have suggestions for what you want to hear on the show. If you have, did you mention the uh, big contest? Yeah. Yeah. I mentioned that at the beginning (laughs) when we, when we started seemingly days ago. I mentioned it. Yeah, I think Yoga Hosers would have ate me a little bit, just the uh, description of it. I will mention it again, though. But, uh, yeah, we're having a uh, we're having a $100 giveaway uh, that we will announce that winner on the air um, the week of January 10th. January 10th is when it ends. Uh, you can go on uh, at Massive Late Fee on Twitter and find out information on that. Uh, you can also visit us on Facebook. There's also stuff on Facebook uh, about the contest. Massive Late Fee on Facebook. You can email us, uh, MassiveLateFee at gmail.com. Uh, and, uh, you know, if you could give us a rating, uh, subscribe to the podcast, all that stuff really helps us out. We definitely appreciate, uh, you know, all you listeners out there. Um, 
And I think that's, I think I am emotionally exhausted. I think that's about all I've got. You got anything else, Mike? Uh, no, but I'm going to go, uh, I think I'm going to go watch Yoga Hosers now. <laughs> and uh, I'm sorry the Nazis don't fare the way you wanted them to. <laughs> yeah, enjoy it. It's one of the saddest movies of the year because uh, the Nazis fail again in the end. <laughs> all I want is blonde hair, blue eyed people. <laughs> oh wow! I can't wait to edit this later. <laughs> All right, we'll talk. We'll uh, uh, yeah, we'll see you next week, everybody. <laughs> nice. <laughs> oh, thanks for listening. See you next week. Bye. See you later, you yoga hosers. And uh, what else? What else do we do? Um, you can find us. Uh, yeah, our Patreon, our Bandcamp, email, Twitter. Oh, we're having a contest too. Um, so for those of you who don't, who don't know, we're giving away a hundred dollar Amazon gift card to one lucky winner on January 10th. Um, you can find details on our Twitter at massive late fee. Uh, and you can find out how to enter there. There's a, uh, a tweet that, uh, you know, you, I'll, uh, I- I'm going to retweet that soon too. Uh, to uh, you know, get more people in the know about it. But uh, yeah, that is our show for tonight. Uh, next week we will talk about something else fun. I'm not sure exactly what yet. Although I have a couple ideas I need to run by Mike uh, before I announce anything because that's how it goes. I don't uh, ambush my co-host here. But uh, anyway, so uh, have a great night, everybody. We'll see you next time. Bye. See you next time. PJ's rules. <laughs>